I'm Tara. I'm Ryan. We love Disney movies. So we decided to watch them all, from Snow White to Frozen 2 and beyond. Each episode, we'll watch a different Walt Disney Animated Studios film and tell you all about it. Did we like it? Does it hold up? Who's our favorite hero? Or villain. We'll give you history and fun facts about each movie. And sometimes, we'll invite our friends to watch along with us. So put on your tiara. Or your evil crown. And join us on our adventure. This is Tara and Ryan's Princess Diaries. All right, hello listeners. We are back with another episode, and we are talking about Disney's 1961 101 Dalmatians, and we have a very special guest on. We today. do. Uh, we have my former former coworker and uh, former coworker, but uh, present friend <laughs> Michael is here to talk to us about uh, well about the movie and also about probably a top tier villain coming up this time, yes. right? Hi, I'm Michael. Thank you for having me. <laughs> I'm very honored to be here. Thank you. Uh, so we uh, let's we've we've been asking this every other time. It always gets kind of a weird answer because we keep asking people to tell us about like their first Disney memory. But I think we've discovered that everyone just kind of remembers Disney being around. But so, like, what's an early Disney memory? What's your history with this movie? Oh, I can straight up tell you what my first Disney movie is, and that was Cinderella. Oh, really? oh yeah. It was Cinderella. Um, and I remember, for whatever reason, I'll always remember the opening shot because it's that opening shot with um, – well, maybe it's not the opening shot, but suffice it to say, like, it's always, like, that that dawnish look, and they're going into the – towards the house. Um, but for whatever reason, there's also a castle there. I don't remember that particular part, but I always remember that opening shot. Um, and I always kind of thought, like, wow, this is so pretty. Um, and kind of since then, I was always questioning Disney movies. It's like, why are they treating people so badly? Like, that's not very nice. What's <laughs> yeah. going on with that? And then, like, as I go through, like, the different Disney movies and I try and um, just just enjoy cartoons because my mother was like, go over there. Stop, stop bothering me. Um, <laughs> it just kind of became that recurring question of, like, why are people so mean? Like, what what happened? Why, what, what's going on? Also, I want these good guys to win because those people are mean. Um, so I have like several movies that are like my movies that I like binged day in, day out. I watched for a week and 101 Dalmatians was one of them. Um, and I absolutely love this movie. It's one of my, it's one of my all time favorites. So I don't watch it very much now. Um, I would say like Lilo and Stitch took its place, but like 101 Dalmatians has a very dear place in my heart. I love Pungo. I love Cruella de Vil. The, the way that they animated the cars is extremely fascinating. Um, and for whatever reason, her two henchmen, I always associate to the two bad guys in Home Alone. I'm like, they're basically yes. the same people. <laughs> yeah, yeah. They are very similar. I never really put that together. That's great. Now, when you were talking about the cars being animated, like, do you know the behind the scenes of how they did that? Or yeah, it's cardboard. They, they Xeroxed yeah. uh, cardboard and, uh, vehicles. I don't know why I Films. lost the word. Yeah. yeah. And then they just, like, went from there. We'll, we'll and get they to did that, that with the bit. dogs, too. Yes, A they did. The puppies. Yeah, they used Xerox as well. Well, this whole movie was the first movie to use was uh the first movie to use the xerox technology um the reason why and we just you know last week was sleeping beauty and we talked about how gorgeous uh, a piece of art that is and how just every frame is just phil looks like medieval uh medieval tapestries and things like that 
it also cost twice as much as this movie and almost once again almost bankrupt the company like they really after sleeping beauty i mean it was a success but they didn't make their money back because they spent so much money so Mm -hmm. it was considered a flop in that regard and like they thought about closing down the animation studios after sleeping beauty at least i read something about that saying that you know they weren't really sure that they were going to continue with animation so this was their next thing and i don't think walt was super pumped about the way the animation looked with xerox but i think it's really cool what they did and it was half the cost it's it's going to be interesting to watch this one again because i'm not too impressed like i watch these documentaries on youtube so i'm not necessarily getting the best quality but they're like they talk about the lines looking hairier because what they essentially did was uh, the 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 UB iWorks. This is this person's name. This is a <laughs> it's like UB was their first name, and I don't know if it's short for anything, but we'll uh, we'll figure we'll figure uh, that out later. Um, he w- invented the multiplane camera. He was also uh, instrumental in the uh, um, animated and live action scenes in Mary Poppins, and he came up with this idea, which is essentially. Well, if we can Xerox something onto paper, can we Xerox it onto the cells mm. we've been doing? So what he's done is basically – it also kind of sucks because they had big layoffs in the ink and paint department, which I know yeah. if you're listening to this podcast, yeah, we love the ink and paint department. Yeah, here. and I'm now obsessed. There's a whole line on Shop Disney, and I may have some of the ink and paint mugs. <laughs> yes, a lot of a lot of Amazon uh, 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 packages are, are seeing their way to our front door a lot more often. Yes. But um, – so this one was, they were taking out the Ink and Paint Club. The animators loved it because it was the first, like, an animator, you know, as uh, 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 Michael was a producer at uh, the video game studio I worked at. And as somebody who, like, works with artists, the idea of there being a a step between my art and it seeing the public's eye can sometimes be a little contentious. That is an so- understatement at most times. <laughs> that is... That is, yeah, and if I can finish uh, your thought with the Xerox. Yeah. yeah, the animators really loved it because it allowed them to do more far more quickly and, and get to the next thing. And that's what was most important in the pipeline is like, can I get to the next scene? What's the next scene? How do I reduce costs? How do I get this movie out the door? With Xerox, like they were able to achieve all of that. And of course, just like you were saying, Tara, like people were the greatest and the happiest when it came to the reception of some of the line art. But overall, the product ended up being way more cost effective and you ended up still with an amazing story and that ended up being like a staple in more of the movies to come yeah i think this is a step from this the 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 implications of what i'm about to say are a bigger discussion but i think this is a big step with disney from um fine art to production art in a lot of ways 100 percent, i can see that and i don't necessarily mean that as a step down i you and i obviously work in production art um, and, and that, you know, like our industry blurs those lines all the time. And that's a big discussion going on, but this is definitely one where it's like, well, this is, we need to be to, this is also a business and we need to think about that because this, this, uh, made money. This did well. I think it was yeah. eight that year. Um, the list I, I thought it was like no, six. I, I had it I thought as it was... the 10th highest grossing. Film okay. That, yeah. yeah. We we have talked about this and other things that we keep getting con, uh, uh, conflicting uh, facts sometimes. So we're doing our best when because we do there our was research. one there was one documentary I saw that said the number one movie of that year, and I was like, really? And I looked it up, and the it's thing not. I saw had it as eight. <laughs> yeah. Well, on the budget for this, I don't know what it made, but the budget was four million. Yeah. I don't know if you looked up what it overall. Oh, well, 
it made somewhere around six million that year, and I and I, I, the budget I had was three point four. But either yeah, way, that's either like way. half of what Sleeping Beauty. Well, was. and Sleeping Beauty was also in production for over ten years. Yeah. So this like. I think you could also say, I don't know if you guys agree with this, but in a way it was very innovative that they were like, well, how can we, I don't know if innovative is the right word, but like, how can we, um, you know, we need to make money back. We still want to put out somewhat of a quality product that has like the Disney name to it. And I think they were really smart with what they did, you know, whether or not Walt loved it, Walt was a little finicky in general, like. I understand, like, he wants things a certain way, but, like, I think they did a really great job with it. Um, I, I, yeah, I, I, it's, it's interesting to watch it coming from Sleeping Beauty, like, watching these back to back. Back to back, yeah. Is a lot. But the other thing that they did with this is it's, it's one of the first modern, it is the first modern Disney picture. It takes place, supposedly, there's a, there's a newspaper article that says it takes place in 1958. Interesting. And so everything was supposed, it was also a very modern graphic look. They, did a lot of a di- the backgrounds were meant to be like big thick lines and things like that. So doing it this way, I think also kind of lended itself to the process they were doing. Mm. It yeah. wasn't supposed to look like a medieval tapestry. It was supposed to look like a newspaper print or or or, or an advertisement or yeah. something out of that. Well, and um, to kind of get where the story comes from too, because I have some information on that. Yes. Um, it is a 1956 children's novel by Dodie Smith. And so she actually had a pair of Dalmatians, and I believe one of them was Pongo. Pongo was one of them. And then in the story, it's Pongo and Mrs. Mm. And uh, they live with Mr. and Mrs. Dearly. And so the reason they changed the names Dearly is because you have the Darlings from Lady and the Tramp, and then you have... Um, uh, oh, Jim Deer. Jim Deer. From- Darlings is Peter Pan. Yes. That's what it is. You have the Darling family from Peter Pan and you have Jim Deere from Lady and the Tramp. So that's why Disney, they changed that name, but they kept Corilla DeVille. So she is yes. a villain in um, the book and she's a wealthy woman who's fixated on fur clothing, essentially. Well, we'll, we'll I think we'll have a lot to say about Corilla DeVille. Oh, I've got some fun, interesting um, facts on who she was based on, but we'll probably, let's save that for I love afterwards. that queen. Oh, she's so good. She's so uh, good. But yeah, she the author had 15 puppies in real life. So she actually had Dalmatian puppies in real life. That's and one was born lifeless and revived. So, wow. And I know that that story, I believe, is in yeah. 101 Dalmatians as well. It's, Which is pretty dark for a Disney film. Yeah. Like, it's joyful. They take it to a place. But they talk about a lot about that and this thing about how this is, it being modern, this is also one of the most like physically affectionate couples Mm. in a disney movie up to this point like everybody else just kind of danced together and was like i love you prince charming and this one like they're married and they're yeah well and his job is different in the book he's like a financial whiz in the book Mm -hmm. and he saves britain from like their debt like he gets britain out of debt uh because he's a financial wizard whereas in the movie he's a struggling composer so they change his job there which i found interesting which i think is kind of smart because it's another thing Corilla can pick on him about that he's not very successful in mm. his work. Uh, the other thing that was interesting is this is one of the ones where like Walt read the book and immediately got the film rights. Yeah. So he read it and like saw what it could be and immediately got the film rights. And supposedly, again, these are one of those facts that like it was hard to fact check this one, but supposedly the author of the book was secretly hoping that Disney would like pick up 
the book and turn it into a movie. She was quoted as whether whether or not uh, Walt liked the movie. She goes, I think you guys improved upon my book. Yes, I read Yes, that's what I researched as well. Uh, The other thing when you were saying like about the bringing the lifeless pup back to Mm -hmm. life and how that was kind of intense for a Disney movie, something else that got uh, kind of criticism at the time was there's a scene where the puppies, they in the words of this fact, suckle from friendly cows. And supposedly that was given a lot of criticism and it was deemed inappropriate for a children's film. So I just find that interesting when you think about what's inappropriate today versus like what was inappropriate then. (laughs) Well, it's just interesting thinking about like what's inappropriate because I mean, not a few movies back, like you had the queen of (laughs) Maleficent, like... Oh, that she is says, a- she says, she says, she yeah, and she's mad evil. And so like comparing what's inappropriate in this film versus like having the literal queen of, I, yes. I do also remember, doesn't everybody, everybody in this movie smoke. So it's funny that like, yes, heaven well, forbid we see suckling from udders. Well, and I know you want it to wait, but I really kind of, I'm super pumped about these facts right, about Corilla. So I'm diving into, into them also because the smoking comes into play in okay. this. So um, she was based off of an actress, uh, Tallulah Bankhead, I think is how you say it. And she, I read a lot about her. She had what they described as personality quirks. Um, <laughs> they used the term flamboyant, which I didn't love that they used that term to describe her, but she was an extrovert. She was outspoken. So she was, a very unique woman at the time, if you think of like the 40s and the 50s, because she's speaking her mind when really no one else is. Uh, she had one hit movie and it was a Hitchcock movie called Lifeboat. But she said to have smoked mm. 121 cigarettes per day. Oh, my so God. So that's where like the smoking comes in. She also battled with alcoholism and drug addictions. But she was also known for her promiscuous uh, sex life with both men and women, I read. So she was adventurous. She was like out and about living her life and she openly talked about it which i found really cool that like at that time she was very outspoken and like was not ashamed of her lifestyle so of course they cast her as a villain well yeah i guess (laughs) you can look at it that way um she was also quoted as saying i'm as pure as the driven slush which i love that (laughs) quote i think that quote's fantastic i love Um, that i want that as a bumper sticker yes like so good and so like i if anyone, like, loves Cruella like I do, like, definitely, like, look her up. She's also beautiful, very strikingly beautiful in the pictures I found. Now, I was just on Wikipedia, and, like, I looked a couple different other places. So, um, but I just found her really interesting mm. as a person, and the fact that they base Cruella off her. I think Cruella is very eccentric, and, like, the way she's animated, like, she's so tiny, but then she's in this giant coat. And Cruella just has a lot of, I think characteristics where they didn't base her exactly off this woman but i think they took the extra eccentric but it's eccentricity it's every time tara thinks she's like i get so nervous word, i'm like it. yeah um but um, eccentricities yeah i think they took some of her eccentricities and like put that into the character of Carilla, which i found really interesting you're right with the way she's animated. Like she, cause yeah. she seems so big, but she is so frail. She's so scrawny. She's like, very, like hers, but those big coats she wears and everything. And this was Mark Davis did the anime her. We talked about this on the, on the sleeping beauty episode because he did Maleficent and then Cruella DeVille. And he said Cruella DeVille was the most fun he, he had working on a Disney film. It was his last after this, he left, mm. but 
he just he just loved her because he said Maleficent was hard to do because she was so like straight and narrow and like very precise in her movements and she didn't really have very many characters to bounce off of. Meanwhile, Krell is just arms and like she's everywhere. She's, yeah, she she occupies. She fills every room she enters. She's got uh, what is it, Horace and Jasper? Yes, yes, her, her henchmen. Which. We'll go into this, but Tara has a couple connections to other versions of Horace and Jasper. Oh, yeah. It's what? not out yet. Well, well, okay. So first, you know, who played one of them in, in the Glenn Close version is Chaboy Hugh Laurie. Yes, that's right. I love the Glenn Close version. I don't know if, like, it is widely received overall, but I loved it when it came out. I know her performance is very... Because I, I did went down a little bit of a rabbit hole with that, and there was a lot of... She told a story on, a, on an interview where she was walking around and someone brought their daughter up to him and goes, it's Corella. And the poor girl was just like, like, yeah, like, look at her. But then Glenn Close is like, well, I don't look like Corella. So I didn't know what to do. So then I just went like laughed at her. (laughs) The poor girl like ran away. That's amazing. (laughs) But Glenn Close had a lot of good things to say about this character because she was like, you know, it it was such like the animator. She was, I'll find the interview is a short, like little two questions from an interview. Mm -hmm. Um, where she's talking about how, like, she's praising the anime. She's like, I had a lot to draw on from this character. Yeah. And she plays it, I think, fairly different, but it's it's interesting. But there is also a Cruella movie coming out. Do you know about this? I did not know about this. There's a Cruella prequel coming out, which when I heard it, I was kind of like, because eh, it's Emma Stone playing Cruella. But I'll send you the picture they've they've done. She looks punk rock in a way, and it is Yeah, gorgeous. and I don't know. I know it's been filmed but i don't know like i think production they're in post wise. yeah because tara's second so cousin? it's my i've actually never met him so i don't want to like say that i've met him because i haven't best but friend it's and cousin my, no it's <laughs> my dad's first cousin's son so i don't know what it's that makes paul it to walter me. hauser who it was but he was richard, richard jewel and he was in i Tanya. Wow. Um, he's like, he's coming. He's, he's a fantastic actor. So if you don't know him, definitely look him up. But he's one of the henchmen. In yes. It. So, and I know he's done his filming for it because I follow him. But yes, I never met him, but I now follow him and I support him. And like, <laughs> my family is more connected with his parents than big, him. Big wrestling fan. So, you know, I like him. Yeah. But, um, <laughs> but yeah, so I'm pumped. I don't know when it's going to come out. I've not heard anything. So I think with everything going on with COVID, who knows? But, um, but yeah, I have a couple. Yeah. What else do we want to cover? I have a couple like look for these things. I always like sharing those. Um, so about 35 minutes in characters from Lady and the Tramp make brief cameos in the film. Yeah. So I'm excited to see a bunch of them. Yeah. So it's in the Twilight Bark scene. Jacques, uh, makes a cameo. Peg and the Bulldog, who were the strays. They make a cameo, and Lady and the Tramp are briefly with several other dogs Mm -hmm. in that scene. So we're going to have to look out for that. Um, About 23 minutes in, when Lucky is watching TV, the spots on his back form a horseshoe. Yes. And then the other thing is the hidden Mickeys here. I think you can find a Mickey on every Dalmatian. And that makes sense because they were Xerox, so they're probably a lot of the same similar spots. But Pongo definitely has one that a lot of people have mentioned. Um, but I think they're on all the dogs or most of the dogs. Uh, this was, I found interesting because it was the voice of Anastasia, Lucille Bliss. She sings the canine crunchy song. So the song that's oh. on TV, she sings it. So I found that really cool. 
Anastasia uh, is the one that's so eligible. The other thing that they said to look out for, which I found uh, interesting, is Corella's telephone reflects her mood. So watch the, the face on the telephone. There's like an animated face on it, and it changes depending mm. on her mood when she's on the phone. So that's not something I've ever picked up on, but I'm going to like be looking out for it. Uh, and then just another like interesting kind of fact when it was re-released in the 90s. And that's how I became to love this. Like I had a lucky stuffed animal. I had the lucky like Dalmatian stuffed animal. And I had a lot of different merch from 101 Dalmatians. Uh, when it, it was tied to the video re-release, a lot of the merch had to be pulled because they spelled Dalmatian wrong. <gasps> was it t-i-o-n it was I, t-i-o-n yes because i do that all yeah in, in in preparation for this i did it about 900 yeah times. so they had to pull a lot of it so for a while you could only get the merch like at disneyland or at a disney store but then i think they had to pull it and then redo it and i feel like that's my nightmare and that that would be me like i would have been in charge of dalmatian and i wouldn't have caught it and it would have went out there like i feel like I misspell and mispronounce things. But I also found it interesting that when it was re-released, it was the 20th highest grossing film of that year, which I just found interesting that it kind of had a whole rebirth. It wasn't like as it wasn't, you know, in the top 10 like it was mm-hmm. when it first came out. But I still find that pretty impressive that it had existed for, you know, since the 60s. And then it was released again in the 90s and kind of had this whole new um, generation and it was my generation of people enjoying it. Well, because it's not like it has a big parks presence. I guess that's a good point. Yeah. Like it's, it's parks presence. These, well, like because I think sometimes like some of these like some of these movies like go on and then people see it at the parks. Yeah. You know, or there's walk around characters. And then we when it gets re released. Sorry to cut you off, but we talked about Peter Pan. Like, there's a lot, it's a problematic movie, but a lot of people have this nostalgia because of the Peter Pan flight ride. Yeah, or there's parts that are focused on. Oh, you, yeah. oh theme parks. Understood. Oh, yeah, yes. Oh, parks. sorry about that. Yes, yeah. parks, yes, yes, yes. A presence of the parks. Mm-hmm. And I don't think, I don't think there's a Corella Deville character. There's obviously not like Pongo and Perdita walking around or anything. There's yeah. not a ride. Is there? I can't think of one. There's. No I know at times one. that they do have like Dalmatians on the theme park grounds, but I don't think they've had that for quite some time. Yeah. And this has only been like, I think, towards re release or, or towards the vault reopening because you do know that Disney, like, at least back in the 90s and early 2000s, they'd oh, be yeah. like, guess what movie's coming back out? You should yeah. totally buy this again. It's the 20th anniversary. You should totally buy that again. Like, and so well, I, I imagine the surge of marketing material and, and toys and concessions come back out and then go away. So, well, my, Michael, at the end of this, you'll have to decide if I don't want to, don't play your hand too early, but you'll have to decide if. 101 Dalmatians earns a spot in a, in a VHS clamshell on your shelf or if it will be locked away forever in the vault. I, also I already have, have one. <laughs> yeah, I also have a drawer because I don't like Tara's locking drawer things is the away. Vault. She says, I don't, she does, feels bad about certain movies, so she doesn't want to put them in the vault. Uh, but yeah, I think... I, I've got a couple things real quick just to go over some of the stuff. Uh, 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 two things of that. Yeah, story. go right ahead. Uh, top three cl- grossing films of that year are West Side Story, The Guns of Navarone, and El Cid. Mm. Wow. Um, the, the next two are The Parent Trap and Absent-Minded Professor. Just going back to there was a big thing around this movie where everyone was saying, why don't you just close the animation department? You're doing film. You're doing TV. Like, you can do all this other stuff. And Walt was just like, no, we're not doing it. This is what I, I love in the animation department. That's interesting. Um, yeah. We also talk about awards. So going off of that, 
1962, it won the BAFTA Award. I didn't know what that stood for. British yes, I Arts, looked it up. Film, Television. You're close. British Academy of Film and Television Arts. There you go. So you had it. Uh, it was the best animated film. So it won for that. And then it was a what nominee. Was it up I didn't look. Oh, we should uh, look that up. But yeah, I usually do. I didn't for that one. Uh, I'm not but, calling you out. You do great at this. Thanks. <laughs> uh, it was also a Grammy nominee. And I don't know that we've had a lot that have been Grammy nominees yet. We've had Cinderella, I think, for Bibbidi Bobbidi, the song. Yes. Uh, oh, no, but that was still Academy Awards. Yes. I don't know that we've had something for Grammys. So it was nominated. It didn't win. And it was for Best Recording for Children. And it was up against Leonard Bernstein's Peter and the Wolf. So it's not, it's Prokofiev, but Bernstein, the conductor. Yeah. Yeah, that's pretty fascinating considering, oh, so you mentioned the the award was for recording in itself because there were only two songs as opposed to some of the other Disney movies, which are all basically musicals. Yeah. Well, which yeah. is also funny because the lead character in this is a music, is, is a musician. I almost said a musicalist and but, that's yeah, not a word. He's a composer. Yes. But so like you feel, it feels like, but he writes like jingles and stuff. And it's it makes sense to me that it's got a granny Grammy because I feel like this is some of the most modern music. Like even like Bippity Boppity Boo and stuff, while still kind of pop hits, this is like jazz and kind of like a modern sensibility. And yeah, like they talked about. So on the the document I wrote, they did the first pass of the Corella Deville song, which was awful. It was like she's cruel, she's cruel, Corella, devil, devil, <laughs> Deville, and I was like, this is really bad yeah. and then like apparently he, they were going with that and then he was driving like to work one day and he just goes what if we did a blues rift instead it's so good it's i one love of, it, it it's, it's such a good song to this point the best villain song i think we've listened to we've seen so far so far yeah well okay it's hard to say like the song, best not it's the theme. catchy yeah because maleficent's theme i know is you're team so maleficent good. for life <laughs> but but no, I will say it's like it's a catchy jingle because that's what he does, right? I think calling like it a catchy jingle is diminutive. Fair enough, but I I want to say it's it's because it gets stuck in your head. Like when I listen to a oh. Disney playlist, I sing it all around the house. Yeah, like I love this song. Guess who's been singing it for like three days now? <laughs> As per always. Um. The the other thing I just want to talk about real quick to watch out for because uh, Michael brought this up, but I I I don't know that we did a great job explaining exactly how it works. The 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 cars. Because those cars you're watching, we talk about rotoscoping and other ones where they kind of just paint over real pictures. They did it a little bit in, in some of, and I think Make My Music and stuff like that. They've done it in some of the films. Uh, Blue Fairy was very rotoscope, stuff like that. Um, so when they figured out you could Xerox stuff, they created these, as you said, these cardboard cars with just thick lines on them. So they're like mm. white cardboard with thick lines of like Corella's car and Jasper and Horace's uh, truck and all that, and they actually just filmed them driving around, and then xeroxed it, and oh, then interesting. inked it in. So just, I think that's interesting. The watch for it. The, the scene where she's coming up, she goes into the embankment, and then she drives up. They drove it through in sand the snow? in the snow. That's yeah. sand, and then yeah. they just repainted over it. So that's very. And I remember thinking about how real, not real, they look, but different. Yeah. So. That's going back to like, these are like technological advances. And while maybe these weren't the most artful uses of them, they were definitely a step forward into something, the, the next big thing. And I think the thing that I lost my train of thought on earlier was the word innovative. And I think you're very right, Tara. Like everything about this movie is very innovative. And the reason why it probably had the resurgence that it did is because 
it's a period piece. It's not a mystical land where somebody might get uh, desensitized because I don't want to live in that fantasy world. This is a, a movie and a tale for pretty much anybody um, on a grounded level. And I think that's most encapsulated by the, the scene with the different dogs that match their owners and everybody can relate to that. And this movie is extremely relatable, whether or not you're looking for the architecture, whether or not you're looking for the character development, whether or not you're looking for a bad boss or some rival that you have that's really evil and is bringing you down. Like, I think there's something in this movie for everybody. And the fact that the animators got to to test their metal and put out more content than they normally would, and it took less time, that meant more things that they could work on after the fact. I think this is a very important movie, both in its time and for the Disney Animation Studio in its whole. Yeah, no, I completely agree. Michael has turned me around on the Xerox period. I was kind of down on it at first. I'm really? Now... I, I just found it super interesting. It's Some of my favorite movies are from this period, but like... Listen, I I don't want to stomp on that. I think it was a great way of encapsulating this movie. I know. I, I think it's you've time. A great point. I think whatever we have left, we'll get it afterwards. But guys, I think after that great introduction, we're gonna grab the clamshell. We're gonna yes. grab the VHS. We're gonna jam it in the VCR, and it's time to watch 101 Dalmatians. All right, we'll see you on the other side, listeners. Hello, listeners. We are back. And I will say it was as great as I remember it. Like, I remember watching it a lot as a child, but I haven't seen it since I've been an adult. And I thoroughly enjoyed it. I got teary-eyed at the end, too. I know. You are getting all... It's getting misty. (laughs) I missed that. No! (laughs) No, like, crocodile tears. But I did get a little, like, choked up uh, at the end when they're, like, rescuing everybody. What's a movie we've watched that you didn't cry at? Pinocchio? Okay, that's not... We don't need to. I, don't <laughs> know. I was asking. I meant no. I meant a Disney movie. Like, what are some Disney movies? Oh, you didn't I don't think I cried in Sleeping Beauty, but I also know. That's fair. No, I'm. I, that wasn't me trying to call you out. I for thought it. you I were trying to curious. call me out. Probably <laughs> none of the, of the package films made you cry. No, none of the package films made me cry. I'm trying to think. I may have gotten like Tyrion Cinderella. She's so kind. But yeah, I really enjoyed it. What did you guys think? I know, Michael, this is another one of your favorites. So I assumed you would enjoy it. <laughs> oh, I loved it. I thoroughly enjoyed it. Every, every single time Cruella's on, on oh, yeah. film, I guess, is in shot. Like, I'm just giddy. I'm just so giddy. They The way that they animated every little thing about her, the way that they incorporated her smoke to be more uh, akin to like Maleficent's yes. magic yes. and how yeah. they kept the, that visual imagery of like, no, this is a Disney villain. You are not meant to like her um, and making her larger than life. Despite the fact that they always showed you her silhouette, her coat just added so much more of an, um, just an encompassing evil about her. Um, yeah. And, she was so much more imposing. Oh I yeah. Think. And the tie in of like, we're going to make these pelts out of these Dalmatians. Like who did she kill to get this coat? Yeah. yeah. Who died? What? Point. Yeah. Uh-huh. She's, I, she's a trophy to, hunter. Not yeah. to jump ahead, but I always thought it was funny when she would walk up to the door and just be like, dude, dude, very still, very Maleficent-esque. Mm-hmm. And then the second the door opened, it was like, she's wild. And the second yeah. the door closed again, she's just, dude, dude. Like, uh-huh. the, the, the silhouette kind of like gave you this imposing thing, but then she was just so huge when she came into the room. Yeah. 
Well, and yeah, I guess we'll jump right into it because I know that we've mm. got a lot to talk about with it. But um, I love this opening credit sequence because it shows all the dogs. It's a really cool opening, but it also starts to tell the story. Like you kind of see him and Perdita like meeting, even though like they then kind of go back in the story. But you see both of them and the spots as music notes at one point. Like mm-hmm. it was really creative. Well, I think that I think that's a direct result from them saving time and money. Yeah, that they were able, able to, to have focus an animated on it. opening because mm-hmm. they haven't been animated before. They've been that's a good point. Been like very beautiful still shots and then music, but very rarely is it something near. Nothing has come close to how much animation was in this. This very much felt like a flex. Like, look what yeah. we figured out. Look at the innovation that we just came up with. Now you get an animated opening, and for each person that we're going to call out, they're going to get their own special segment. And just like you were mentioning with the music. The, the person that they were saying composed and directed the music gets the mm-hmm. the the music notes with the different spots. And some of it was lining up to the actual music itself, and then it kind of went yeah, crazy yeah. from there. Yeah. And, well, and they give Bill Pete credit. And we've talked about Bill yes. Pete before. We didn't mention him at the start of this, but he was the one in charge of the story on this, so, right? Bill, so I think we said a little bit, Bill Pete, he ended up after Disney writing a bunch of, ch- and during Disney, he wrote children's novels or children's short stories and, and uh, illustrated them. And I grew up reading a lot of them in my local library. There's, there's, uh, I, th- the one I think I used to have was how doofus the dragon lost his head. There was, there is uh, Wilbur, the worldly pig, which was a pig that had like spots that looked like, a globe mm. and things like that. Um, but when I, one of the books I really remember growing up was his autobiography, which is one of the most interesting autobiographies I've ever read because he illustrates it. Every page he just, he, he, he does this illustration. Sometimes he finds old paintings. He does and he puts them in there and that sort of thing. So I read that whole book last night. Now that sounds like a feat, but it's actually kind of written for a younger audience. So I kind of skipped through a little bit mm-hmm. and it was also a pretty quick read. Um, but he, he was also, he started off as an in-betweener on, I believe, Pinocchio. Um, he, he was an in-betweener. No, he's an in-betweener on Snow White, which is, as we've discussed on the show, is like sometimes doing like all the really simple animations to get from one place to the other. Mm-hmm. Then on Pinocchio, they started pairing him up with writers and he would do all the storyboards for them. And he hated, there was one guy in particular he worked for on a, on a movie where he sat around and did all the, like he was coming up with the story himself. He had all these sequences, none of which made it into Pinocchio, one where they went to this real w- weird world with, like, little monsters. And he loved drawing little monsters. Oh, my gosh. So I mean, that. that movie was already wild, so. So he kept, he, he would start, they would bring these on for a while and pitch them. And he started kind of doing it on his own. And it's a really interesting book. It goes kind of into more of Walt Disney as a person, how kind of weird he is. As someone who's worked at a studio that kind of had an art auteur head of the studio there's there's parts that are he's wonderful he's great there's parts where he gets angry but it's like more of this like force of nature you're dealing with and i think that's a really interesting thing for for walt when we're coming to 101 dalmatians walt sent uh bill the book one night like all of a sudden bill just opened the mail he's like why do i have this book (laughs) and and all of a sudden he gets a call from walt he's like you should watch this and you should you should read you should you should read this and you should write it so he Basically did all the storyboards, but instead of taking other writers' input and doing the storyboards, he became the full storyboard artist for this. And apparently he did a lot of a lot of work on that. And he did, a, I think, Sword in the Stone. And then one day he just got mad at Walt and he left. And then two weeks later, Walt died or something like oh, that. Wow. So oh, wow. Like, oh, geez. Yeah. But um, Didn't he also very, write it? 
he kind of wrote it as he drew it. So like that, or at least that's the way they kind of describe it. And this is this collaborative process where you don't necessarily, you kind of get a script and it's kind of a story treatment, but like the real shooting script is also storyboards. So mm. in the documentary I saw, they also went through his storyboards and everyone talks about how this movie was, Oh, this was all bill. Like this, like you look at the storyboards and it's a completely different art style because he didn't have a very good Disney art style. He could copy it. And that's why he was an in betweener, but he had his own style. So that somewhere there's a picture book that is essentially this movie in that's the bill cool. Pete style, which I really love. It's a lot of like pencil drawings and kind of smudges and stuff like that. I really yeah. like his style, but I'll put the book up. It's, it's, it's really good. So uh, it opens the story uh, in London. And what's interesting is when you hear the narrator's voice, I think that if you didn't know the story, you would think it's Roger who's narrating, mm-hmm. not Pongo the dog. Because well, it's he flat out refers to his pet. Yes. So <laughs> before he says, no, not him. I'm the one over here by the window. Like you could very much mistake them for it. So it's Pongo narrating and talking about Roger and how they live the bachelor life and how he's really looking uh, for someone for his pet, for his owner, Roger. And this is where we first see pipe smoking. So there's a lot of smoking in this one. Roger with a pipe and then Cruella. But Roger's like smoking his pipe and like writing jingle, like just kind of messing around. And Pongo refers to him writing romantic songs, even though he really doesn't know anything about romance, that kind Mm -hmm. of a thing. And then this is where Michael mentioned this at the beginning, the dogs looking like their owners. And I love this whole sequence of Pongo looking for a mate for him and Roger and how he sees these different dogs and their owners go by. And he's like, this one's too fancy or this one's too short. And like going through that whole thing. It's not even that. He's just like, that's an interesting breed. Mm, Not really my taste. Whereas I feel like a lot of times in these Disney movies, they've been like, that one's fat. Like we've had to deal with a lot of like, I think he says short and fancy, but yeah, he doesn't like, I don't think he uses any descriptors that, Yes. Are derogatory when he's I, looking at them. It, it, it gears me to Pongo immediately. Yes, I think this whole sequence is multifaceted because I don't know of any other Disney movie coming before this that subverts the expectations of the of the audience going in. You immediately think it's the main character talking, and it is, but it's not who you actually think that it is. Yeah. yeah. Um, and then immediately going into that, like, hey, there's there's a bit of you in everybody that I'm seeing, and we're trying to find our our mate per se, uh, to, to use their wording, and hey, that mate's not for me, this mate's not for me, and everybody can really um, kind of link themselves to that of like, either in a friend or a romantic relationship, and I want to find the right person, I want to see the person that I find um, most endearing in my life to be happy, and let's go make my pet happy, so let's buy them a new toy, or let's find them a new friend, and just, just setting up that stage of not only have we um, subverted your expectations, but now you know where you can imprint yourself and find yourself in the movie um, is really, really smart. It's so smart. It immediately just grabs you. Yeah, I agree. And it pulls you right in. And so as you're going through that whole sequence, and there's going to be a lot of these where there's sequences where we'll talk about them a little bit, but you really have to just watch it. Yeah, there's a lot of um, I think there's a lot of that in this. But uh, I love how smart Pongo is because he's like, he finally sees a pair 
that, you know, it's another Dalmatian and, and he, he sees Perdita first, like, and that's who he's into obviously is the dog version of the pair. And then he sees the woman, he's like, oh, the owner, you know, is, is good too. And so he sees her going to the park and then he looks up at the time and is like, well, Roger doesn't get done with work till five. So he changes the clock. Like, I love how Pongo kind of sets everything up. He changes the clock, he grabs his leash, and then Roger just assumes his watch is stopped because the clock on the mantle is different. Uh, and then they go into the park. And then I love the whole next sequence where they're looking. Just to touch on, like, one thing. Like, I yeah. think this also sets up a great amount of foreshadowing for who Pongo is and what tools he has at his disposal for solving the problem later in. Like, yes. not only are they saying he can outsmart a human, but he is very knowledgeable of what's around him and what's going on. Yeah. Also the world, because I think it sets up this world where the dogs run things, but maybe not necessarily in charge. Like, they're, they're having more impact on the world around them than, you know, possibly, say, Lady and the Tramp or something like that. Like, Lady yeah. and the Tramp is, like, firmly in the dog world, and there's not a lot of, like, owner dog. Well, and you don't see the owner's faces yeah. a lot of times in Lady and the Tramp, and the, and it's a view from a dog's yeah. view. But this is very much like you see everyone. They're in on it. equal footing. And yeah. it's, it's touting, like, this is some modern take, but really, that's a fantasy world. Yeah, yeah. They're, they're ready. They're letting you know this is. Don't worry. This is a Disney movie. We're not. Yeah. Uh huh. Be a little. And so the whole next sequence that I love too is when he takes Roger's hat and he's so playful. I love the way that they animate Pongo. And even in the beginning when he stretches, I'm going back, but when he stretches by the window, um, but when he's playing and he takes uh, Roger's hat, and you can tell that Anita and Perdita are just like. In my mind, I think Anita's thinking, wow, he really doesn't have control over his dog. Like, because Perdita <laughs> oh. is sitting there, like, not on a leash, like, just yes. sitting still well, in the statue. even when she, like, she looks at Pongo, but then she goes back to it. Like, yeah. she's a little more trained. Yeah. Well, and I think Pongo normally is trained. Like, this is out of character for Pongo because he's trying to, like, cause a scene so they see them. Uh, and then he puts the hat on the bench so Roger, so to make sure that they see each other. And I love Pongo has a line, something like, and then they got up and left. And I, di- I don't know why. <laughs> like, they got up and left because you guys were being crazy. But yeah. it's just funny that he doesn't see it that way. Uh, well, Michael was also talking about the side eye that Anita was giving. Him. Yes, oh, the side oh, such eye. Such good side eye. Yeah, <laughs> that in a note. It was a really good side eye. And then Pongo's like not having it. He's like, these two have to meet. And he wraps his leash around them. Which, like, really overwhelms Anita. And, like, Roger seems really embarrassed and is, like, trying to apologize. Well, it's 1916's London. I'm yes. like, oh, goodness. Yeah. Dear me. <laughs> like, yeah. Um, <laughs> Not very And Perdita proper. is just, like, looking on, like, I don't know what's happening. And so they lose their balance. And as they're falling in the water, Perdita tries to save Anita and, like, rips her suit. Like, she gets, like, the cloth and the fabric. And they go into the water, and at first Anita is, like, super upset. And she's, like, talking about her suede suit and her hat and all these things. And they're trying to look for handkerchiefs to dry each other off. And then they just start, like, laughing at how absurd the whole situation is. Which I think you can relate to in real life. Like, having that kind of, like, absurd situation. when one of you is trying to give a hug the first time you meet (laughs) uh, your future wife and the other one goes in for a handshake and then you go back and forth for, like, five minutes. And I went in for the hug, listeners. I'm proud of you. (laughs) Thank you. I had been told on other first dates that I was too... Uh, I was like, they're Forward. like, you're coming in for a hug too soon. So I went, okay, this is the one I'm not going to do it on. And then she's like, hello, <laughs> big arms. I'm like, oh, uh, hi, hello. Uh. <laughs> 
that's how we met. Yep. Um, I wanted to jump in real quick with some stuff about Anita. Yeah, uh, go Lisa right ahead. Davis was the uh, actress, and she was in, in these documentaries I'm watching. That's you know in the '90s, so sometimes many of the actors have passed, but she was still around. She originally came in for Cruella Deville, <gasps> and she read the script, and she went. She she, she apparently went through this because she's like, "How do I tell Walt Disney he's wrong?" And she was <laughs> like, "I'm so sorry. I don't think I'm good for Cruella. I think I would be good for Anita." And he was like, all right, read it. And wow, she, and she that's didn't. He great. Went, okay, you're Anita. And then um, they, so we talk about how they draw, you know, figures for the dog. Like they bring in dogs. They brought in Dalmatians. They brought in Dalmatian puppies all the time. But they also brought her in and her and I believe also the one who played Roger. And they're like, just play with them. Go. Aww. Like, because they're like, we want to see how people handle them. We want to yeah. see that. But we also want to start giving you kind of like agency a little yes, bit of your yeah. character and get into this which i thought was kind of fun so there's all these pictures of her with with dalmatians and oh that's awesome that's really cool and i also like about them we'll talk at the end on our set of questions but this is the first time i think you may have mentioned it ryan at the start that you see like this loving couple like they dote on each other and they're sweet with each other and they've got like an inside joke with each other like their sense of humor um, and I think as a couple, they play off each other really well. And I don't know that we've seen that strong characteristics up to this point. I Yeah, I like it a lot. Uh, I, I know for some reason I started that sentence sounding like I wasn't into it. But yeah. I really like, I like that you said, I think, they sure got married real fast. And I think it was to get us to this like energy of... They're a married couple. They're together. Like, the point of the story isn't them essentially, falling in love. Yeah, and essentially them... It's a family story. It's not a falling in love story. True. So and get past that. And after we see them in the water, and they go back, to, then it's like they get married. Like oh, they the go next back, scene is yeah, in the chapel, It's I the chapel, and it's them <laughs> yeah. getting married. And it's really cute because, like, when you zoom out on the window, it's them getting married, and then it's the dogs at the window, and, like, Pongo's putting his hand. Like, they're taking vows together, which I thought was really sweet. And then I think the next scene is this a similar window shot, as we saw earlier, of Pongo, but now it's Pongo and Perdita. And they're in a different house. And they look happy, yeah. and Perdita puts her head on, on Pongo's, like... It's fun. Pongo, I think I also like, possibly because I like Roger because they're similar. Yeah. But they have a very big, like, dad joke energy. And I really oh, like that. Oh, definitely. Like, yeah. like, Tramp, I like Tramp. Like, having seen both of them, I like Pongo better. Because I think Tramp was like, I'm just, I'm a tramp. And I'm, all the ladies well, and love Tramp me. And wanted... Pongo's like. <laughs> yeah Tramp also, dog. like, was trying to, like, not be owned. He's, yes. like, trying to persuade um, dogs to like be free and not yes. have an owner and this is very much the opposite of like the dog loves the owner vice versa he's like happy in his, his, his yeah. married life like he wanted to get out of being a bachelor like immediately yeah and so uh then that's when we see nanny the maid who i also love she's hilarious and i love their their housemate i guess for lack of a better term i don't know She's her name is Nanny. They yes. refer to her as Nanny. But Ex- explain to me how they are in financial trouble, but can afford <laughs> a two-story like row house in downtown London and a nanny. I think like, it's implied that, that Anita has money. Like her family comes oh, okay. from money. But the deal is yeah. that now that she's married, it is up to Roger because of the time to yeah, pretty much too- provide. So I think Nanny is more of a like, for lack of a better word, like part of the family, yeah. or like. I don't want to say passed down because this was a person. Yeah, like a dowry of some sort. Like, I don't think it's anything like like that. Well, it may be like, um, oh my God, take my nerd card away. What the heck? Alfred. Yes. Alfred who just comes with the, you know, got passed on. Who serves the family. 
sorry, you just said earlier, like, she may have came for money. I didn't think of that. I just think it's funny because I think we talk about prequels and how it's like, why did we get this prequel? Why do we need it? And the Cruella movie that's coming out is going to be a prequel. And the more I thought about it, the more I'm like, I do want to know. Yeah, well, because they mentioned that they're schoolmates. Yeah. They mentioned they're schoolmates, but that's about it. So I am, like, super fascinated to be, like... It very much was like Corella boss Anita around. Like it's clear yeah, that like that, that was that yeah. relationship that Anita kind of did whatever Corella said because not to skip ahead, but later on when Roger is like very firm about like he's not very firm, he's nervous, but he tries to be firm and in the end is like we're not going to sell these puppies. Anita was like so proud of him because yeah. I feel like it's something she can't do. She can't stand up to mm-hmm. Corella because of their like past relationship. Yeah. And can we also mention how positive that is? Like, I don't think yes. that we would have seen that type of dynamic in any other relationship, even in a Disney movie for that time. Like, this is a very empowering relationship movie in terms of like, hey, I want to know uh, what you need and I want to support you when you do something that is outside of your normal comfort zone. Good job. Yeah, yeah, no, I agree with you. And so this is kind of how we see the maid and I love on the wall instead of pictures of family and children, it's just pictures of the two dogs and like many different we don't have a picture of Lady in this room. I don't but think we do have pictures of Lady. But not like <laughs> on the wall, like on the wall at the stairs, like that's where all my grade school pictures were. Like my school pictures in my house, like when you would go upstairs. Well, and that's t- like what they have but it's all the dogs past uh friend of the show laurel always talks about on if you listen to our other podcast craniacs talks about her hall of laurel which yeah. is just <laughs> it's just because she's an only child that just walks down the hall it's just oh well this is weird it's like- well so <laughs> what's funny what's funny about mine is i was an only child until 12 and then my brother was born so once so it used to be like just like diagonal pictures going all the way down if that makes sense like they were kind of mm-hmm. yeah like in a line so then my mom had to like put my brother in between so then he was like a new row and so it like like, <laughs> like when you write a poster in grade school and you start the first letter, and the like bubble write, letters like, are too big coming and yes. like the h and the o are really big yeah and then, like the ing is squished in it wound up looking <laughs> better once there were more pictures of him right but you had to wait each Year, like if it was like yeah. a yearly picture. So yeah, for a little while it looked kind of weird. <laughs> That's funny. But yeah, so you you see their house, you kind of see their dynamic, how they get along. And then you hear Roger like has this new melody, but it doesn't have words. And Anita like is humming the melody and spoiler, it's the Carilla DeVille song. Mm-hmm. And then that's when he, um, she mentions, I guess that Carilla's coming over maybe? Perdita hears her or smells That's her right. senses her yeah presence. yeah like, and she here, runs like, she hides terrified yeah her. and that's when he starts singing about Corella he starts like describing her before yeah. we see her he's singing about well, her well because he's come downstairs for tea or lunch or something yeah and then Corella comes and without anything saying like there's no like I feel like you're talking about this 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 healthy relationship that is them without it being seen her saying him saying, I don't want to be around her and her being like, oh, well, you have to. She's my friend or whatever, him, or whatever, yeah. any of that. He just starts singing the song and goes back upstairs. To his I music feel like room, yeah. When, when Cruella's here, I have to not be in the room. Yeah. I just think this oh, this whole scene leading up to when they finally reveal Cruella is just brilliant in terms of both executing an exposition, but also giving the audience like, this is what to expect. You're still going to be surprised, but this is what you should expect. And I just... This is the... Mwah, Chef K. Yes. This yeah. Yeah. Uh-huh. His... And also, moves and animation during that scene are probably my some of my favorite in this whole movie. Ro- yeah, Roger's His, like, great. 
And like, afterwards, too, yeah. when he keeps singing it. Yeah. Mostly because I can imagine a Disney animator running around the room while they're doing that. Yeah. And everyone's sketching it. And so we talked about this earlier, but the shadow at the door, like you see her shadow through the window of their door before you see her. And she looks so imposing because the coat is part of the shadow, like it's part of her. And then she opens the door and she barges in and she is like a whirlwind. She is larger than life and she is like in their faces and she's darling and looking for the puppies and so obsessed. Like, where are the puppies? Where are the puppies? And Roger's upstairs and as she's talking, he's taking different instruments and playing the theme as loud as he can to the floor. So I think it starts with the piano and then it's the trumpet and then later on it's the trombone. But I just love that whole bit of like that's him being defiant to her, just like trying to play over her talking and this whole uh, scene is so subversive because the same silhouette that they give to cruella is the same one that they gave to maleficent the whole yes. the, the whole lead up is the same thing except for the second they open the door darling darling yeah she's wild. so good yeah, it's so good explosion of a personality and like her lighter you see it very quickly but it's like an alligator head like i just love all the detail of her that's interesting because later in the rescuers we have madame medusa who oh is yeah very much like a pale, a poor man's uh, Cruella de Vil, in my opinion. But she has the pet alligators. Oh, I interesting. If there was any inkling that someone drew from that or whatever? Maybe so. I don't know. Yeah, and it's a I quick, bet. Quick, yeah, you don't see the lighter for very like it's quick. But here's a question: Do we ever like? Is she meant to have, be a natural black and white, or is she <laughs> like dye her hair? Did people dye their hair like that? Like I don't know. It's yeah. a crazy thing that she's doing as far as I can tell for 1961 London. And it's I'm just curious. Perfect. I did not like come across anything about how that was inspired, but I am curious where they came up with. And I don't know what, I don't know what she looked like in the children's novel if she was animated at all. So mm, it would be interesting either. to look at that. Um, but yeah, so she keeps going back and forth about um, wanting the puppies and uh, she's going to like, you know, she wants them and where are they and all these things. And Anita just tells her they're not going to be ready for like another two or three weeks. So she basically like, I guess the word um, maybe placates her. She she doesn't tell her, no, like you can't have the puppies, but she's just like, well, they're not here yet. Yes. So she like is in a huff and is like, oh, that's fine. I'll see you when they arrive and like leaves. And then I love that Roger comes down a little smugly. Like he's got like this little <laughs> smug look her. on his face. He's got like his sweater or his his like Scarf. jacket, yeah, yeah. All, like all wrapped around him. And then he continues to sing about her. And like that's I love that animation when he goes and sits down. Like I think there's a piano downstairs mm. too. Um, and then that's when we realize that Perdita has hid. Purdy has hid the whole time because she's so nervous about Corella taking the puppies. So then we do see that moment between Pongo and her and, you know, Pongo being like, don't worry, like they're not going to let her take the puppies. Like it's going to be fine. Kind of a thing. Can, can we stop down just for one second? Because I do want to talk about this. If you're on the Facebook page, um, you know that I have been (laughs) watching, uh, the ABC show once upon a time it's been surprising to me that none of our, like, we haven't come up with anyone who wanted to do this. This Everyone, I'm like, here's the list, and no one picked 101 Dalmatians. And I'm like, I really just feel like we can't do this co-host list. And then I put something about Corella DeVille showing up in one, Once Upon a Time, and Michael was like, I love her. <laughs> like, I love her. She Okay, so she shows up in the show, and it's her, Ursula, and Maleficent. And I got to be honest, Maleficent, Ursula on that show are big disappointments. And they all kind of show up the same way where it's like 
something happens. Someone walks in with big shoulders and strut and yeah. is like, darling. And all of them do that. I'm like, okay, here we go. But Corella, you're right. Like, through, I, I've gotten to her, the end of her in this season, which I think she comes back, but... We, I don't want to spoil it. I want, yeah, I want to spoil it. But like, she is just a scene stealer in everything that she does. Yes. The wit, the snarkiness, her delivery, the way that she moves. Like, I cannot take my eyes off of her. She's mwah. And she's got a big coat. She's got the same thing where she's very frail, but she's got a big coat. Her hair is slightly different, but also just so good. And it's so obviously a wig, but who cares? And then... The one thing I will say about this character that shocked me is because every single bad guy that shows up in this show, the evil queen, Captain Hook, let's look at, let's have an episode where we finally look at their backstory. Oh, boo-hoo, something happened to them. They were misguided. So they start doing the Cruella DeVille backstory, and I'm like, oh, cool, she's going to have some, like, tortured backstory. No, she no. was a murderer, too, back The then. whole time. awful. And I was like, at first I was like, oh my God. And then I was like, yes, exactly. This is how it should be. Perfect. So I just, I, I don't know if you have anything else you wanted to add to that. Her car is also fantastic. She's the only character with, a, the only villain with a gun. It sounds like <laughs> they pulled a lot of traits though from the animated version yes, of her. Yes. And kept them, like they put their spin on it. I've not seen the show. But it sounds like it's it's more true to how she is in this. Yes, I, I would agree with that for sure. You, she is so vile that you just can't not like her. It just, uh, uh, I'm just gushing now. I'm like speechless. Like God, I love, I love, I love what they did with her, and I love this character very, very much. Yeah, she's she's fantastic, and so that kind of goes into when we see because we keep seeing her like she's wild, but she's not like too wild the first time we see her. She's mm-hmm. a lot, but each time we see her, she's more and more unhinged. I would say throughout the film, like absolutely. We, we, we like see that happen. So it's a stormy night and you've got Pongo and Roger waiting at the door. And I love this, like Pong or uh, Roger is like puffing on the pipe, like very anxiously waiting for the puppies. They're both so nervous. It's very reminiscent of when you think of when men weren't allowed in the delivery room. Right. And they're waiting. It's exactly yeah. What like it that's is. what it's supposed to be. There's a bit where Pongo licks him and he drops the pipe and catches it. They talk about it in the documentary but he does like this kind of juggling with his hand and the animation there is just so it's so good. You should, like if you watch if you watch it after you listen to this podcast guys check it out when he kind of tosses a pipe. Yeah. And so then that's when we find out that the nanny keeps popping in. I don't know if she starts with 10 or maybe she starts with 8. She starts with like 5 or 8. She keeps giving updates on how many puppies and then eventually it's 15 and Pongo looks like he's drunk. Like his eyes get all swirly and <laughs> he like can't really walk uh, and he's kind of overwhelmed and Roger's like Pongo old boy like he's so proud of Pongo and then Nanny comes in and it's so sad like she's like oh we lost one we're at 14 and she gives Roger the puppy all wrapped up so we don't actually see the puppy we just see the blanket and so Roger's like trying to explain to Pongo that sometimes this happens. And then all of a sudden he just starts to revive the puppy. And then he's like, so they're both so overjoyed because the puppy kind of, you see the little pink nose come out of the blanket and you see that the puppy's okay. Mm-hmm. And so they're all rejoicing. Anita comes out and then that's when the lightning strikes and Cruella is back. <laughs> and it is, such, really it is such a good like second entrance. Her first entrance is great. This one is just as good. And she comes in and she sees that they have no spots. She calls them mongrels. She calls them little white rats. 
and uh, she wants the whole litter. So this is when she's like got this wild laughter about Roger's songs and about how like, look at this house you live in. And she's basically just like demeaning them in every way possible. And it's just like, you need this money. Yeah. Well, she goes, how are you going to take care of him? And she's like, we'll be fine. He goes, oh yes, Roger's songs. Ah And like Roger's over in the corner, just arms crossed. (laughs) Yeah. Like hates that he has to be in the room with her. Yeah. And then... She's like trying to write the check and the pen won't work. And then she's shaking the pen and then the ink splatters all over Roger and Pongo. So Pongo has more spots and now Roger is spotted. Uh, and Which I just think is the cutest thing. Like the dogs, yeah. the dogs are together and they don't like what's going on. Exactly. And so Roger then like gets up the nerve and you can tell he's really nervous. We mentioned this earlier and he's very much like, we're not selling them. Like you cannot have them. Like, I don't care how much money you offer. Like we're not selling them. And this is when, like, her threat, you know, I'll get them, you'll see. And she, like, she's, like, you know, I'll have my, I don't know that she says I'll have my revenge, but essentially that's what it is. Like, I will end up with these puppies one way or another. And she leaves, and as she storms out, she breaks the window of their front door. Like, completely shatters it. Like, it's completely cracked. Um, but I love that scene, because then Anita comes in, as we mentioned earlier, and is, like, so joyful that Roger stood up to her. And uh, Pongo goes into Perdita and he's like, you know, they stood up to her. We're keeping all the puppies. Like, don't worry. They're all ours. And then it cuts to the dogs watching TV. So yeah, like which a becomes a running theme. Yeah. So they're now they're they're all bigger. A couple weeks go by. Which this was a big deal that they were putting TV in a Disney film. Like it's it's that again, going to how modern it was. TV was just starting to get. Yeah, well, if you think 61, people were just starting to be able to afford to have TVs in the home. And not everybody, I think, at that point could. So that was a a big thing. Which also, again, leads to, like, them being broke versus they have a TV. They have, like, going back to, like, what they do have. But uh, they're watching a show where Thunderbolt, it's the dog, is, like, the lead, like, hero in this Western, I guess. I want to see that movie. Yeah. Disney make that movie. Yeah, make I mean, didn't they? Isn't that Bolt? I don't know. Oh, maybe about Bolt. I don't know anything about Bolt either. Maybe it is. Yeah, it's a Disney Pixar film, so hey. I know we'll have to we'll have to look into that. But this is how you get. Oh, to... it's on our list. Oh, I, oh Bolt's yeah, on the list. Yeah, it's how you start to get to know some of the personalities of the puppies. I think they do a really good job here, and we don't learn all of their names. But Lucky, we find out, is the one who is obsessed with the TV. He's all they're always telling him to get down because his paws are up on the TV. He's got the horseshoe, which we mentioned, and. They never say it, but I assume he's the puppy that they revive because they named him Lucky. But I don't know that they ever say that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Then you've got Rolly, who's a little Rolly Poly and is always hungry and always looking for food. You've got Patch, who's got the one spot on his eye, and he's kind of aggressive is the wrong word, but he's he's like trying to be he's scrappy. Yeah, yeah, he, like, plays it tough. And later, at the end of the movie, the nanny mentions another one named Freckles. But I don't know that they mention Freckles here. I think those are the only three that they mention. But you kind of see the personalities and how they all interact with one another. And they're watching TV like a family. Like, they are a family, but, like, a human family. Mm -hmm. Like, it's very much like, I used to be told I sat too close to the TV. Like, it's, I was lucky. Like, it's very, it's very, like, similar dynamics. And so, um... I also love how Pongo spells out walk, but they all know what he's talking about. Yes. Uh, And he's like, oh, well, it's time to go on our W-A-L-K and is putting them all to bed. And then they take an evening walk with Roger and Anita. And I like that they get like that time. 
with their pets with their it's owners. Import- it's important to take time with your partner away from your children every once in yeah. a while. Yeah. Uh, if possible. <laughs> yeah. Um, so this is when we get introduced to Horace and Jasper. And okay. Jasper is creepy, and I don't think I liked him. Interesting. I kind of like them as a duo, but yeah, Jasper is, I think, the more obviously the more intense out of the two, but he's super lanky. Um, similar animation, not the same as Corella, but he's got kind of... He's like six and a half feet tall, but he fits in like a 5'10 frame. Yeah, and he's all legs. Yeah, for the most part. He's are bow legged. Um, but they zoom in when he's like watching. They're, they're basically watching um, Anita and Roger to see when they come and go. And they zoom in on his hand. And he's, he's got, looking at him in the, in the, in rear, the view. rear view. And he's got like the nastiest fingernails. The they're nastiest. Like they're so gross. And then when they zoom out, they're just normally animated. But that zoom in. We're watching a lot of House lately. Uh, stand by for our next podcast, At Home with House. Uh, yes. And, uh, Trademarked. We, <laughs> and, <laughs> uh, I feel like that would have been a, that's a symptom we've seen in multiple episodes. Where it's like, their fingernails are bad. He must have yeah. something, something, something disease. But yeah, so Gross. that I like, like really caught me off guard. And they enter the house the same way where you see their shadows. So they're ringing the bell and Nanny sees the two shadows and they're so drastically different because Horace is like short and round and then Jasper is tall and lanky. And she's like, who could this be at this hour? And they say they're from, Horace says he's from the gas company and holds up his bag. And I love this bit that it's electric company was painted, but they didn't spell it right. And so they put the E, like one of the E's on top or it's the C. The I think R. it's the R. The I R. Think it's is the it the R? R? Yeah, it's one of the letters. But it looks like, But it's yeah. like, it's so funny. And then like Jasper has to remind him it's the electric company, not the gas company. So she, she's aware that like something is not right here. And so yeah. she's basically not letting them in the house and they barge in. They 100% break and enter here. Yeah, it's like a, it's they a are home burglars. Invasion. Yeah, it's a home and, invasion. They barge in. She tries to stop them. Um, you know, they're looking all around the house, and then she chases Jasper upstairs to the music room, and he like pushes her in there and like closes the door. And then that's I get and then Horace finds the puppies because you don't see him take the puppies, but you see the bag is full. His like electric company bag is like mm. much more full than it was. And then Jasper like lets go of the door and she falls back and she totally busts that base, which I guess are the least. Oh, she threw the base. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> she like went through it. And granted, they have more problems than yes. a broken like instrument in the music room. But the part where she goes out into the street and is like crying because she realizes they took the puppies. At first she thinks they took silver and you know, and they robbed her, and then she sees that they stole the puppies, and she's, like, sobbing in the street. I think, when I was a kid, I don't think I, I understood my feelings of anxiety as opposed to, like, flat-out fear or anything. Yeah. But I think this scene really, I very much remember this scene, and it gave me a lot of anxiety. Partially because of how she acts at the end, but also because Jasper is physically, like, Yeah, like, well, he physically barges and in, and then it. physically, like closes yeah. the door on her and, yeah but the, the bigger thing is he's like just laughing about it he's he's not he as someone who's a big guy himself and does, didn't often get like physically dominated in those situations like i don't know like that just just even thinking about like yeah. not being able to stop something is well and of- horace to your point of like not liking jasper horace apologizes and kind of feels bad and isn't sure if this is the way they should go about doing it and jasper's very much like green light like this is what we're gonna do something michael you said at the beginning of this was how they kind of reminded you of marvin harry from home alone yes absolutely i think think some of the reason marvin harry work for me is marv is the dominant one but he's so small 
Mm. And I think that's a better dynamic. It's a more comedic dynamic, certainly. But I think that's that's works. Yeah, Marv here, is more imposing, but he's also the less the gentler one, the less yeah. physically yeah. imposing. Yes. Yeah, and I think here it's just this big giant thing is just bullying everyone. Or I don't know. I yeah, don't know. no, I get it completely. Jasper's a henchman, so he won't go up on our villains ranking. But he had, whew, I yeah. did not like him. So then you cut to the newspapers and we see dog napping and we see like the puppies were stolen. And then it's the sweetest voice that at first you don't even know that it's Cruella. Like it's a very different voice when she first is like reading some of the headlines. Oh, yeah. She's got like this sweet sing-songy voice. It sounds like Anita. Yeah. And then you zoom out and you realize it's Cruella. And I love this (laughs) whole scene. I love her hot pink bed. I love that she's got rollers in her hair, even though her hair is always crazy. It's never curled. Like, I don't know what those rollers are doing for her, but like, (laughs) she is just so wild in bed. Um, And I love it. And Jasper and Horace call. And this is where we did notice, look out for the phone because it's slight, but you see it. She answers the phone. It's like the devil on the phone and it's smiling. And then later on, it's like frowning like this. With full on horns. Like it's not even a slight imagery. It's dead on. This is demonic imagery. Yeah. And so she answers the phone and they're basically like, Like, we're done. Like, we don't want to do this. Like, it's in the news everywhere. It's in the newspapers. And she's like, you're not getting paid. Like, the job's not done. Like, you're not done. This, like, so she, this whole back and forth happens. And this is where I first write it down, but it's been said before. But she calls up Anita and she asks if she called Scotland Yard. And Roger's saying something in the background. And Anita turns to her and is like, turns to him and says, you idiot. And Corella thinks she's talking yeah. about them. It happens with Horace and Jasper on yeah. the phone too. But the the term idiot is used a lot in this movie. And like it's used against Anita and Roger a little bit more playful, but then it's used like very cruel when it's like Corella calling them idiots, you know, or being called like, an idiot. Yeah. yeah, or being called an idiot. So it's also something that, like, if you're a parent, it's just something I would look out for because it's a word that it doesn't go by just once. Like, it's throughout the movie. Every character, every main character says it. But Roger, you know, Anita's basically telling him to be quiet because he's on the other end just being like, she took them. I know she took them. Mm-hmm. And they're, they're, they said that Scotland Yard has investigated it and, like, they investigated it and they cleared well, her. It's, it said they cleared her, but then she's like, oh, my God, I just heard. So I'm wondering because he goes, Scotland Yard's investigated her. Is yeah, the sense of time in this movie is very strange. I, I think I think what this is my theory that she has been investigated for other crimes. And, oh, a hundred percent. And that's yeah. why I I don't know that that's what they meant, but I agree with you yes. that like she's definitely been investigated before. She hasn't been convicted, but she's definitely like when they bring her in, they're like, oh, it's that Deville woman. Yeah. Uh, but then this is where we get to the Twilight Bark scene, and I love this whole scene and. They refer to Roger and Anita as our pets have done everything they can. So now it's up to us. And uh, Purdy's like, you know, oh, it's just gossip and it's hearsay. Like it doesn't ever work. And he's like, well, what else are we going to try? And so it's an all dog alert. And it starts with the Great Dane and that little tiny dog. And it's just such be a, Yorkie, a right? funny. Is that a Yorkie? I think so. Maybe. But um, I just love the dynamic between the two of them and like them trying to get the message across. And then. 
all of a sudden you hear all the dogs barking throughout London and then you hear one owner say, will you be quiet? Like, yeah. I just love that. Whole just thing. the one. It's just like, yeah. just a throwaway line. Uh-huh. This, as we've mentioned earlier, is a scene where we see a lot of the Lady and the Tramp cameos and they're easy to spot. So don't worry if you watch this. Yeah, scene. yeah. So definitely look out for them, but it's really great that we didn't see Tramp. I think in my notes it said Lady and yes. Tramp, but we just saw Lady, but... Uh, so then you're following the barks, you're following the different dogs, and it goes outside of London to farmland, and you still see the dogs barking, you're hearing them, and then there's the hound and the goose, and the hound is old Towser. That is Bill Pete's dog. Like That's in cool. the In the autobiography, he does this whole thing where he used to go out to a farm uh, with some relatives and, and spend summers, and they had a... And he talked about how his aunt and uncle were very old and mean and how the dog loved to see him. And he's like, I don't understand like what that dog did the rest of the year and why they had that dog. It was so happy and (laughs) they were so mean. He he explained, he's like, my aunts would do all the cooking, explain the whole list of children. He goes, my grandfather would sit on the porch and chew tobacco until noon, at which point he'd take a nap from his long day. Oh my God. (laughs) Wow. But yeah, so old Towser uh, is there, and I love the goose, the busybody goose, who's kind of like oh, animated, very yeah, I love it, like shaking and talking about how they have to reach the colonel, and they're like, oh, he's never going to hear it. And then we're introduced to the horse, who we later find out is the captain. And then the horse wakes the cat, which is Sergeant Tibbs, and then Tibbs like wakes and gets the colonel. And I love these three, but especially Tibbs. Tibbs is great. And so they're trying to decipher the barks like two yips and a woof and they like keep getting it wrong. And you realize the colonel is a little I don't know if they're trying to depict him as being senile or like hard of hearing or both. But you basically get this idea that like Tibbs is there to like keep the colonel on the straight and narrow like that maybe back in his heyday, the colonel was like. A force to be reckoned with but I, I also love the animation of every time tibbs salutes it's like this real shaky salute yeah and so the barking goes back and forth and they're trying to figure out what's being said and at first the colonel's like 15 spotted puddles and like decides yeah. to go back to bed and then they double check it and so i think it's tibbs who says he heard puppies barking at <laughs> paul now by the standards we've already presented in this podcast we'll have to you'll have to quack out that first word however just for from here on out notice that when she were saying that it's he double hockey sticks oh i see what you mean yes yeah <laughs> i'm just yes. making sure that because donald they know, duck will they know exactly to. what curse word it is and not maybe a harsher one yes yes um so yeah so we get to this hall and they go to investigate and it's tibbs who goes to investigate and he runs down and he finds the puppies and we see that it is this run down what used to be a very like probably prominent house mansion, and yeah. mansion in the area and it's run down and the ceilings all cracked and there's all these holes and everything in the walls. And, uh, one of the puppies, when Tibbs talks to them and is asking, you know, are you part of the 15? And they're like, no, we're 99. We were bought and paid for like, yeah. because they, they were purchased, you know, she went around to pet stores and purchased these puppies. And then they talk about how the ones over by the TV have names and collars. I want to talk a little bit about this scene where they show the 99 puppies because there were people at the studio whose only job were spot duty. Okay, so I have a number in my notes. Somebody counted all the spots. Oh, why? Why would you do that? Yeah, why would you do that? What what do you gain? 6,469,952. So that's the total. And so basically how it breaks down. In the whole movie or just that scene? No, in the whole movie. How it breaks down, it's the movie by frame. 
Right. So by frame, there's 72 on Pongo. There's 68 on Perdita. There's 32 on each pup. And then since it's by frame, that's how you get that giant number. Oh, okay. Pointless task. Yeah, but that was in my notes. So I'm glad you brought that up because I forgot I had that written down. But that's bananas. And they had to talk about how hard that was because you can't just spot them different every time. You have to make them. They said you had to make them when they moved. It didn't look like the spots were jumping around their body. So Mm. they had to like, that's why Lucky has a horseshoe. Like everybody has particular spots so that you remember them. Different markings. A lot of the rest of the 99 were copied and done over and over again. Yeah. Good. God in heaven. Can you imagine? Yeah. Well, and the other thing I wanted to mention here too is all of the girl puppies have the blue collars and all of yes. the boy puppies have the red. And that is uh. after Perdita and Pongo because that's the colors of their collars. Yes. So that's something that like, even though we don't know all the names of the 15 puppies, you can tell like how many are boys, how many are girls. Uh, but then that's when we cut to Horace and Jasper eating and drinking. And this is a whole nother sequence where like Horace has the sandwich and then uh Polly Roly 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 it's Roly yeah yeah Roly like takes the meat out of the sandwich and then we all wanted a sandwich like that's I I still want a sandwich yeah I think we might get Jersey Mike's after this I haven't proposed it to Ryan but I think that's what I want to eat it's done Uh, you just did it (laughs) yeah but uh but then like Jasper ashes in the bread like he takes his cigar so it's another like thing of smoking he like ashes in the bread and they're drinking um, and can I just say that, like, even as a kid, that was one of the, like, the, I don't know why I liked that, that idea, because I always associated, like, well, that just must be pepper. Like, you just peppered the oh, bread. That must be a good thing. Yeah. But now as an adult, I'm like, that's really cool. Yeah. But I really like how cool it, it is because it fits these characters. Why don't I like this less? I don't understand why I don't like this less. Yeah, no, I'm with you, though. Like, it definitely, it shows those personality types again. And so then you have Tibbs trying to count all the puppies, which I would never get the same number twice. But Tibbs is trying to count them all, and he's over by the wine bottle. Horace is like, or Jasper's drinking the wine, and then the cat screams. And so this happens a couple times where Tibbs screams. He grabs the bottle, but he He grabs grabs Mr. Tibbs and tries to drink him and basically sticks his face in his mouth. Yeah. And so the dogs bark. And so, like, things get chaotic. And then did you see that there was, like, a birthday cake on the piano? Like, I don't know where that came from and why they had, like, this elaborate cake. But it was, like, an iced cake. It was on the piano. And it... Uh, horse's face goes in it as the piano lid yeah, closes. It was such a weird touch. Well, we established later that they're a very prominent uh, members of the criminal community. So maybe some of their criminal <laughs> friends got him a cake that was like, congratulations on the good job, Horace and Jasper. Maybe. Uh, but then, like, so everything's a little chaotic. And then we cut back to London. And the Great Dane has news for Pongo. Essentially, Pongo and Perdita, they hear the barking and they they leave. They run away. They go out the back window, I think, is left open. Mm-hmm. And they go to the Great Dane. And the Great Dane's like, we have news. Like, we found the puppies. Here's where they are. And he says, you know, refer to the barking chain if you get lost. Like, there will be people along your way. And we talk about this later, but I'll just mention it here, about their whole traveling, especially on their way back once they get the puppies, is very reminiscent of the Underground Railroad or, like you said, World War II. Um, when Michael said it was uh, behind a very behind enemy lines field. Very yes. behind enemy lines. Yeah, very much yeah, a like rescue mission. Much, very much like, or I also think, too, um, when you think of women who 
um, go into a shelter because they've been abused mm-hmm. and then they go to like different people's houses to like start them a new identity because mm-hmm. like their spouse or their significant other and I guess it doesn't have to be women but like when somebody is physically abused to the point where they're being stalked by the person it's like a similar thing of yes. being like you're gonna go to this house and we'll give you your next set of information on how to get to the next place and I might be saying something controversial here but these scenes actually kind of bored me like, really? Yeah. I really? I, any of them, them getting away. or Like, I liked the bark chain. I liked them getting away from Horace and Jasper. But, like, this up until the scene, after the scene with the uh, cows, I was just like, I felt like it was just kind of, I was oh, kind of looking at my phone. Interesting. I didn't mind it because I think, especially on the way to the puppies, it's showing, like, what they're, I think, what they're risking. Like, yeah. what they're up against. Like, they're in the icy river and they're in the snow. And it's the same thing when they've got, like, 99 puppies. Could you imagine crawling 99 puppies in the snow? No. Like, I just feel like those scenes needed to be there to show, like, how far they've come. The but end of I that story I also... saving those puppies is not a good one, unfortunately. <laughs> uh, I also feel like this is a good amount of world building. The thing that I really, really enjoy about, like, particularly this segment, like, everything after the, the Twilight Bark, is that there is this world that they've hinted at at the beginning of the movie, again, with this aversion that this is from Pongo's point of view, um, is that there is this symbiotic relationship that the animals have with their masters, or with the with their pets, quote unquote, um, and and then with the Twilight Bark, you have this what Purdy refers to as a gossip chain, but it's really this elaborate way of people connecting with each other through large amounts of distances, and the fact that the animals could talk to other species further lends that like everybody and everything is still very connected. So if you're thinking like the greater sense, like Lady showing up could very much be that she actually traveled over there or that there there's other things going on and with the animals in the pound like they're still helping out they're still very much a part of the community and i just i really enjoy that they have a militaristic uh environment with the colonel and the captain and then it's more of a like well i'm i'm really old but i'm still gonna do my part because it's about doing our part um with with the goose and uh bill's dog himself and it's just having those those stations and having the cows uh caretake and feed them like it's it it just it builds that sense of community and it builds the world overall and i just i can imagine because i haven't seen 101 dalmatians 2 that like they would further want to expand about that if if given the ability to is there a animated sequel there is okay i know there's the live action going close sequel I have, I have not seen 100 and... I think it's called 102 Dalmatians. I think it is, yeah. I have not seen it either. Um, but then we go to... I agree with you. I really liked those scenes, and I think it's an interesting take on, like, learning this world and learning how everybody, like, communicates with one another. And then Tibbs, they are, like, keeping an eye on the hall, and we see Corilla's car drive up to it. And they do say the old DeVille place. So we do know, yes, because like... Yes, Pongo's like, what? yeah. Um, so Tibbs and Colonel go to check it out and she tells them, she's like, the police are everywhere. It has to be done tonight. And then this is where we hear in detail, like how she doesn't care. She doesn't care how they kill the puppies. You can poison them. You can drown them. You can bash them on the head. You can chloroform them. You just kill the little beasts. Like this is where we see like her true colors of like, she does not care. Just get the job done. We don't have any chloroform or any ether or ether, ether. 
either. Like, yes, yeah, either. that whole bit, yeah. Her throwing the bottle into the, the fireplace and it exploding. Yeah. And, like, that scene, and they showed it a lot in the documentary. They showed it a lot in that villains thing we watched. It's just, like, her coat is, like, responding at different times. Like, I felt that could have been a really simple scene. Animation but... on her coat, it's cape drama. Even yeah. though it's a coat, not a cape. But it's <laughs> the same kind of thing. But, you know, they're talking, like, you're only going to get half a dozen coats. Like, they're not big enough right now and she slaps them and this is another you idiots moment and she you know slams the door and the wall cracks and falls on them and essentially they're watching this show called what's your crime and that's what ryan referred to earlier they recognize the criminal who's being interviewed uh for what his crime is I have a question going back to what you said a moment ago. Uh, they were only going to make six coats out of this. She's making the coats for herself, correct? I assume yeah, so. I assume yeah. so. I, I, yeah. I don't know why. I was just, at some point, I thought she was a fashion designer was in part of it, but I, I don't know. Maybe that's... Maybe that, I mean, that would make products. sense. Yeah. Yeah. But I feel like if she was to do that, like if she was that type of a bigwig, she would never be this near the action. Yeah. Because she would yeah, be too yeah. busy with all of the other fashion. Yeah, mm-hmm. fair. Uh, so Tibbs basically hears all this, sees all this, and he gets the puppies to start following through the crack in the wall, which is this whole other sequence of him trying to gather all the puppies. Lucky, of course, is at the TV. So then he's trying to get Lucky away and Jasper tosses Lucky, which actually helps. He tosses him away from the TV. So that helps. And then Rolly is left. And then there's the bit because Rolly's a little bit more rounder than the other pups. So like trying to get him through the hole, um, And then Horace and Jasper, the TV show ends and they go back and forth on who's going to pop them on the head and who's going to do the skinning, which I was just like, ugh. Uh, So they go back and forth about that and then they notice all the puppies are gone. So then it's this whole sequence through the house where they're searching with flashlight and they go up the stairs and there's always like one puppy who's behind and that's how they see like kind of where they're at. The scene where Jasper goes, puts his like club behind his hand and like is doing the the here, Yeah. That's when I realized their eyes are yellow and like jaundice and gross. They're mm-hmm. the yeah. absolute worst. Yeah. And so Tibbs is leading them all in different places of the house. And eventually he gets them all under the stairs. And then, you know, one of the puppies rolls out or something happens and they get there late. They see them. So then they all run through the house again and they close them in this room. But I think it's a different. I don't know if it's the same room that they were originally in, but they close them in the room. And then that's when. We go back. Oh, it's definitely the original room. It's definitely the original room. Yeah, okay. And that's when Pongo and Perdita are lost in the snow, and the colonel hears them. And so that's when the colonel's like sliding on the ice and like is trying to communicate with them. And uh, when we cut back to the house, that's when, Michael, I think you noticed it first. Like, everything's red. Like, everything has gone to red. There's a big color tone. Yeah. Yeah, there's a huge color tone. And the fire is going crazy. And Pongo and Perdita come into the rescue. And all the puppies get out because Jasper knocks a hole in the wall or in the door to try to get Pongo, I think. And so all the puppies go out that way. And it gets kind of aggressive with Perdita. They're very protective. And so they're, like, really going at them. And then, like... They bite Jasper's butt and, like, rip his clothes, but then his pants fall down. So then he's in, like, boxers at one point. I feel like this is another one of those, like, we're trying to explain a lot of physical comedy. Yeah, yeah. It's hard to just just describe it. it Just watch (laughs) it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Uh, And then they keep calling them spotted hyenas. They call them that a couple different times. But I have a question because I grew up with, when I, you know, having seen this movie as a little kid, I was like, I want a Dalmatian. Aren't Dalmatians mean? My mom always told me that Dalmatians are mean. Now, I don't know if that was something she just told me so I'd stop asking for a Dalmatian or... 
I've heard that, but I've actually never been in con- I've never like met or pet a Dalmatian or knew anybody yeah. who owned them. So I don't know that that's true. I've heard um, conflicting things. I've met a Dalmatian that was pretty mean, but I also like not to knock their owner. I don't think the owner was a very good trainer. I do know Dalmatians do suffer from a lot of health issues. Um, so maybe that's intrinsically tied. Mm. Hmm. Yeah. And I also wonder too, like Dalmatians in the fire trucks, right? Like that was a thing. That was a thing. We didn't do a lot of research on actual Dalmatians for no, this, so we'll probably start maybe, posting. Yeah, we'll yeah. post some things. And uh, listeners, again, we're always eager to hear from Please you. Please send us an email. Someone send us an email. Why I, won't you send us an email? It's because it's the way of the dinosaur. No <laughs> one's sending emails anymore. Um, but yeah, basically, when they get to safety, where Colonel and everybody is in this barn, um, they're kind of overwhelmed that there's 99 of them, and... They are. They basically tell Pongo and Perdita they were going to make coats out of us. And so they're like, well, we have to get back to London and we're going to take all of them and our pets won't turn them away. Like, they've got good hearts. Like, they're not going to say no to these puppies. And so then that's when Horace and Jasper come to the farm. And I love this bit. This is a whole other physical sequence. But Tibbs, uh, the captain, the horse, his legs are right behind Horace and Jasper. And Tibbs looks through his ears and says fire and pulls back the ear. And when he pulls back the right ear, the right leg kicks yeah. and it kicks one of them. And then he does the same thing with the left, which I thought was a good bit. Um, and so they start running away in the snow and they realize that that's how Horace and Jasper are following them. So then they go under the, on the ice and they're under the bridge. And Horace, every time Horace thinks the dogs are clever, Jasper puts him down. But Horace is like right on the money. He's like, well, maybe they started going on the ice. So we wouldn't see their paw prints. And Jasper basically tells him he's being absurd thinking that. Um, And then I love the bit where like all the dogs start to grab each other's tails as they're on the ice to try to steady themselves. It was so cute. Yeah, it was such a cute moment. Um, But then we see it's daylight. Like we see that like it's dawn basically. And Carilla runs them off the road she like runs horse and jasper off the road and this happens a couple different times and they're just driving around and they can't find them there's no sign of them because now they're using the ice and then this is when you mentioned michael that like eartha kit would have been and i agree with you it would have been really cool to hear her do her version of oh god it would have been so cool and then we talked about too uh yzma how she's like kind of a combination of that a little bit uh, and so then um, we see them in the snow and Pongo's trying to count everybody and gather them together. And this is where Ryan shouts that Lassie is in the movie. Lassie shows up. It's clearly a border collie. I think this is around the same time as Lassie. We'll have to look that up. Shows up a border collie. I think it's a border collie. It is but, a border collie. Yeah. yeah. yeah it, it's also the same voice as the guy doing the uh, announcing for what's my crime. Oh, interesting. Which, one thing we forgot to mention earlier when we turned off the television for the... Uh, What's my crime? No, the one previous to that, the uh, the, the, the Thunderbolt. Thunderbolt. Oh, yeah. When the guy was doing the things, right before he turns off the thing, he oh, gets it's this... Oh, the jingle. The, yes, he's, he was doing the commercial for Thunderbolt. He's like, or for uh, Canine Krispies. Canine Crunchies. Crunchies. And right before he turns it off, he gives this panicked look. Like, oh, don't turn me off. Like, yes. like, like he knows he's going to cease to exist yeah yeah but, that, that was funny um no i'm glad you brought that up because we skipped over the canine crunchies jingle but uh but yeah so they come across lassie i don't know that he has a name 
And he's basically like, no, we heard through the chain. And this is where we felt it was very reminiscent of like behind enemy lines. Like we're getting you to the next safe checkpoint. And so he's like, no, we've got shelter for you in the dairy barn. Like get everybody there. And so they all come in and they're all frozen. And this is the cows. And the cows are also sweet. And they hear everybody start to say they're hungry. And they're like, oh, well, if they like warm milk, it's on the house. And so they invite them all back there. And, um... And so it had that very feeling of like, okay, we're going to keep you warm. We're going to keep you fed. And then we're going to move you on to the next like point of contact. And so uh, the next point of contact is to try to get to the Labrador Mm -hmm. uh, in Dinsford. I think we saw a sign for it. Uh, And so as they're on their way, they're crossing the road. And so their paw prints are there and they hear the horn. You hear Corilla's horn. And Pongo starts trying to brush the paw prints away, but they're on the sides of the road. And so they all get across, but then she finds them. And she she's, like, feeling so clever that she found them and that they can't, like, pull one over on her. And so that's when she's like, I'll take the main roads, you take the side roads. And there was this two signs for Dinsford mm-hmm. that way. And so um, they get there, they find the Labrador, and he's like, we've got you a ride home. Like, you don't have to walk the rest of the way. This truck broke down it's headed to london like we just have to get you all on the truck but there should be enough room for you and then that's when corella shows up and jasper and horace are like not far behind her so they see that and they start panicking and then you have two of the siblings of the 15 i think it's lucky and uh patch push each other you're you're way better at (laughs) remembering than i am uh well lucky was always my favorite when i was little but they even that i couldn't establish a favorite uh, i'm like They push each other into the soot. So they're arguing like who pushed who and then that gives Pongo an idea we'll we'll be in disguise. And I think at one point he tells Perdita to put on her makeup. She's like 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 get rolled in the soot. Yeah. So uh, that's what they start doing. They start rolling them all in the soot and Horace again is like do you think that maybe they just disguise themselves because the Labrador starts taking the first like group of puppies to the to the van and then jasper gets on him again being like no you fool like they they wouldn't do that like they can't think of that or whatever and then i was really anxious for all the puppies here like because they keep showing them in groups getting on the van and it like corella and horse and jasper are getting closer and closer to figuring out that it's them this movie we haven't really talked about this but it's like a thriller yeah. Yeah. Like it's, it's and it's not, got a lot you know, of anxious moments right, to it. And they do a really good job of upping the tension here, I think. And the yeah. pacing is is really good. If you ignore some of like the time jumping, I think this movie does a very very good job of establishing the 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 tension, the always keeping in mind like what is the major thing that we're trying to accomplish right here yeah. and what are the things in our way and why do the people want to do it? And so like at every moment like everything's a big deal and everything is foreshadowed. Like again, going back to uh, sweeping up and Cruella is telling uh, Horace and Jasper like, hey, there are tracks, go chase him down. Like we know that Pongo was going to do something similar because he did it earlier in the movie. The puppies hiding again. They just did that in the house. Yeah. They were just doing that again and still keeping the idea that these are still puppies. So of course they're fighting. Of course they're doing all these things. They need all of these things. And yeah. always keeping in mind like, Hey, the mom gets tired too. Everybody gets tired. Let's rest and take time to actually take a moment. So that gives the audience that moment of, okay, I can rest a minute Mm -hmm. and then build that tension back up as we get to the final conflict. I think it's brilliant. 
one of the other things they did in this scene that we'll I, we'll get a little bit the, the music does a very interesting job of like so when the when they're walking and they're walking from Cruella Deville and the drips start hitting them if you go back and listen the music oh, yeah. hits like when the drips hit them yeah like, there's a lot of stuff in this I can't remember it's in the documentary but about the score like playing the part of sound effect as well mm. in a lot of different ways yeah well and even yeah there are moments like. She doesn't have a theme, but you know when Corella is around. I mean, she does, well, but it's part she of She definitely does. That's what I'm so, saying. Yeah. Yes, she has a very specific theme song, but I'm just yeah. saying, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. through the music, you kind of know the tension, I guess, of the music when her or Horace and Jasper are coming around. Her theme song is a uh, engine idling and uh, ho- ho- uh, car horn. Well, and her theme song is the Corella DeVille yeah, song, yeah. too. But, yeah. Yeah. Um, and I just love that they, like, in, in talking about, like, the Xeroxing process, like, there is, there's a lot of. Uh, reused animations and assets. And I think I mentioned this during the movie as it was going through, like this was them experimenting and you can figure out where they were experimenting so that when the bigger notable items came up, they could spend more time hand keying um, like the the bigger notable character moments. So like during this time when Cruella is driving by, it's the same expression, yeah. just flipped. Yeah. But it's just a, it's just such a good expression that you just instantly forgive it because like that's scary. She's scary. I don't yeah. want to be around her. No way. Yeah, yeah. And it's just it's so good. Yeah, and that's when we um like Ryan mentioned, we see the icicles dripping. So then you see that they look like. Um, Labrador puppies with white, white spots, spots. Uh, for a minute. And so that's when Corella figures out that they did disguise themselves. And she is so reckless. She the, the truck gets moving. They fix it. And the truck starts driving. And this poor driver has no idea why she's being this reckless and crazy on the road. Well, you were on the driver's side for a bit. Until... I was on the driver's side until he said, <laughs> crazy woman driver. And I was like, I didn't need that. It, she is a crazy woman driver. He... But I just, he more so said it in a tone like, women drivers, am just I right? All, sudden, all right, don't like that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but, like, she is, like, so aggressive. And, like, she eventually, like, rams the back of the truck and then is, like, stuck on the truck. It feels like she's trying to murder a human for these dogs. Yes, essentially. And then she winds up crashing under the bridge in the snow and when she, the car comes out, and this is the part in the sand you were talking about, she's like stuck in the snow and trying to get out. And when she comes out, the car is now a convertible. Like the car has been broken, but like, and then that's the wild scene with her hair going crazy and her eyes are crazy. Like, and the car has fire on it. Yeah, I think there's skulls in her eyes. If you, yeah, we're gonna have yeah. to find a still of that to post because it's so wild. And so she that's when she rams the truck. And as she rams the truck, Horace and Jasper are coming down. And one of them has pulled the steering wheel out. And, like, now the steering wheel is not attached to their car anymore. And so they have no control yeah. over their car. Uh, and they run right into her. And then all of the cars are in pieces everywhere. And she's crying in the snow, you idiots. And they're telling her to shut up. But she's, I think, like, one of the first villains who doesn't have, like... A fiery demise like she's yes. still alive at the end of it she does fall off a cliff in kind of a villainous way but she doesn't die yeah it. but she survives it uh so then we go back to the house and this is where mentioning the time jumping a little bit uh because they talk about how his first big hit is now being played is was it on the radio or the tv i don't the remember radio. it's on the radio. radio i'm curious who was singing that version yeah and it was Cruella deville um on the radio and which him- i pointed out is probably a lawsuit waiting to happen a defamation lawsuit yes uh um, probably yeah, yeah. 
And so that's probably partly how she stays so rich. She just like finds loopholes to sue people with. Fair. Who knows? Fair. Then uh, again, she's- if she's been being investigated by Scotland Yard and like now she's been caught, I mean, is it defamation? Mm, true. She Weird. did. She did steal. She did all these terrible things. She almost murdered a person. Yeah, in, in, several people. In Once Upon a Time, when they find her in the real world, isn't she, is it she's living in a mansion and her husband, like the FBI, is coming and seizing all their assets? Yeah. Oh, that's funny. <laughs> um, but Roger's just so down and out because he's shocked that Pongo and Perdita would run away. Like, you know, Purdy is, I think, how they, what they refer to her. And you see Nanny decorating the Christmas tree. And so there was really Nanny's no sign. Yeah, Nanny. Well, <laughs> Nanny, she was, they were lost under her watch oh, fair, or fair. stolen under her watch. But like, there was no indication it was Christmas time or close to the holiday season. And then they're just decorating a Christmas tree here at the end. Um, and Nanny keeps talking about how she hears them barking like in her sleep and she's imagining it. And then they really do hear them barking and they all come running in. And at first Roger's like, they're Labradors, like, because a lot of them still have the soot on them. And then they realize that they're just covered in soot. And so Nanny starts dusting them off. And then that's when they all try to start counting them, like getting different (laughs) numbers and that there's puppies everywhere. And then he says, Pongo, you old rascal, (laughs) implying that like Pongo had all these other puppies in the time they were gone. Or like, I don't know, maybe he snuck out at night and had puppies with other dogs. I don't really know what he's implying there. But um, but then there's that rhyming at the end. Well, you know. Anita's like, how are we going to keep all of these? And he's like, well, we'll sell a house and we'll move to the country and we'll have a Dalmatian plantation. And then she's like, it's truly an inspiration. And then what is Nanny says something that rhymes too. It's a sensation. Yeah. That's what it is. Uh, And then he starts playing the Dalmatian plantation song. uh, And then we hear all the dogs barking and all the lights going on and all the houses around London. And then that's kind of how it ends. So... We did it, guys. We did it. We, <laughs> we did it. Through. There we were a lot it. of physical sequences in there. So, yeah, I highly recommend it is worth the watch for sure because there's a lot of bits in there that are hard to describe. So we've got our questions we do at the end. Um, first off, how was the princess? I think the princess in this case was Pongo. Or do we want to say Pongo and – yeah, Pongo. I want to say the princess is, is basically all of the puppies. Yeah, I think it's, yeah. it's a family story. It is a family story. story. Yeah. So let's – I, I – love pongo pongo i didn't have any any idea like I, I didn't know who was who like and pongo was just the dad that was it and now i'm like i'm team pongo i love pongo. no he's i think they did dad. a great he just gives like I, I know they don't change his animation but i feel like he had he had dad bod energy like if yeah. he could grill he'd be grilling and he'd be telling dumb jokes and all the kids are, like if they do a do one where it's with them as teenagers are gonna be like oh dad like, yeah i love him he no, and, great. and they both got very protective, both him and Purdy. Like, I just, I really like both of them a lot. And I think she had some agency, too. Like, it wasn't just like, it was Pongo's story, but I, I think she was strongly in it. She's still, a, we're still dealing with not a lot of Disney uh, roles for women other than princess mother villain. Fair enough. Yeah. yeah. But still, I think she was a good mom. Yeah. What do you think? I think she I think everybody was a great character and I think this is like one of the first times that Disney has played with characters who are both strong yet firm like Cinderella is very very soft um and she's strong when she needs to be but this is like the first time where like throughout the full course of the movie you're not seeing a big character change these are who these people are from beginning to end yeah. and you're just seeing them react to a different 
uh, problem that they're having to overcome, but they are still them. They are not transforming. And it's, and going back to what we were saying about um, uh, Robert, I think. Roger. Yeah, Roger, excuse me. Like standing up to Cruella, like there's still a very like nervousness um, about him, but how he executes like standing up to her, like, no, this is what it is. And it's very civilized and it's very um, professional and it's very genteel and it is not overbearing. It is not muchismo at any point. Like this is not a muchismo film. This is a very palatable, very calming, very soothing story, even with the thriller aspects of the bad guy coming, even with Cruella being a devil in so many ways and so yeah. much imagery, it's still darling and sweetie and we're doing about this and what about the nice day that we're having and oh i'm having a handkerchief like it's still very reserved and i think that's very yeah. very strong and i think that's why this is, uh gravitates to so many people because it's not overbearing and it doesn't um turn people off in a lot of regards it's it's just a very very well crafted soft uh story I think it's also important to establish the family unit as one that you want to see get back together and grow so that mm -hmm. at the end it makes sense. Yeah. Um, one thing I did want to point out too, Perdita does join in the fight. Yes, like, very much so. Like, she joins in the fight and Pongo. she also like when Pongo doesn't think they can carry on when they're in the snowstorm before they find the Lassie in the, the dairy barn. Like, I yes, I'm referring to that dog as Lassie now. Um She's like leading the charge like yeah. and she's always looking out before because she's in the front and Pongo's in the back of all the puppies. So like she very I think is a very strong character in this. Can we think of a better couple we've seen so far? No. They may be the strongest couple. I mean the second best couple I think in the whole thing is Roger and Anita. Like we're talking yes, about. Yes. I think absolutely. yeah. Yeah. Th yeah. But like outside of this movie no. Um, sidekick talk for a bit. Uh, I want to start with the, the good guy sidekicks because the, the, the little army unit near, uh, Paul. Oh my gosh. Sergeant Tibbs. I love Sergeant Tibbs. Great. I, I love all the, the trio, but Sergeant Tibbs, the cat was Sergeant awesome. Tibbs. I wish they would have shown him get a medal. I feel like he's, he's, yeah. he was, uh, uh, uh squander. He, he got his medal taken, not taken away from him, but he didn't get a medal like, like Chewbacca. Chewbacca. Yeah. The, the poor uh, Chewbacca uh, moment. <laughs> Um, now, villain sidekicks, I hate Jasper, and I hate him kind of in a good way, but he was just mean and gave me anxiety, Horace, whatever, but what did you guys think of Jasper and Horace? I'm just more flabbergasted that Jasper had those socks, but they didn't cover his toes. Like, why bother? What are you doing? Yeah, why are you I wearing know, those? Well just not wear any. Um, just stop. It's like a cartoon shortcut to show someone being poor. Mm. Uh, yes, yeah. I hadn't even yeah. realized that. Yeah. Wow. No, see, the more you talk about him bothering you, I can understand it. The fingernails really, like, turned me <laughs> off. But I, as a child, I always kind of thought they were funny because they were, like, bumbling and, like, they bring a lot of humor. But there is a lot of darkness to them, too. But I, they bring a lot of scary attributes to I them as well. I think the uh, house and uh, Mr. Weasley from Harry Potter, who were the ones in the live action one i think they were a little more cartoony like goofy i have to see some of their stuff again i remember like there's a scene where they try to cross a fence and the fence comes up and hits them in the crotch which was like the height of like 90s comedy for me at that time yeah like, a good crotch kick 
I feel um, like these two characters are very much a fine line. I'm sorry, continue with No, no, what no, you're go saying. ahead. <laughs> it's, it's a fine line because, uh, like we've been saying, like Jasper is this tall, overboding person who's way over six feet, but his stature is around like that 5'10 mark. Um, and then, of course, with um, the other character, like he's he's smart. He's he's yeah. very uh, he's, he's savant played, about yeah, it yeah. too. Yeah, he's played bumbling yeah. by everyone else, but he's actually yeah. the one who's paying attention. Exactly, yeah. but just like we were mentioning, like with the scene where everything turns red, the the murderous intent that they have on them, like it flashes. It's there for for two, maybe two or three like shots, and then it's over. For the rest of the time, it's still very soft. They were watching TV. They were bumbling around their sandwiches. They were just casually smoking and drinking. Like, as 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 negative vices that they have, it was still delivered in a very soft way. It was never overbearing. It was never yelling at anybody's faces. And the only person who did yell was Cruella, and that was always designated just for her. So for these two, like, I think in terms of sidekicks, they are very effective in what they did. And I think the, the call out to make the live action version more cartoony is very apt because that line of this is scary, this is very scary, mm. is way more apparent in live action where here yeah, you can point. draw yeah. them in a drunken stupor and still talk about we're going to skin people, we're going to yeah. skin animals, and then we're going to wear them. Like, Yeah. Um, but I do I do agree with you about in the house and, and the feelings that mm. you had for that as well. But I think... I think they balance Cruella out a little bit. Yeah, good call. So, um, favorite musical number? I think this is pretty obvious. I mean, the Cruella Deville song. Yeah, Cruella Deville song. Yeah, and when Rogers sing, like Rogers' whole performance, Rogers performance is so yeah. good the whole time. Um, now let's talk about how it holds up. Female character agency. We talked a little bit during this time. I think we got a good handle on that. Yeah. Uh, ethnic representation. Again, it's a pretty white centric uh, film. But yeah. I don't think it really had any problems. Uh, then we'll talk guns and firearms. I don't think there were any guns. So there was no guns, um, but the smoking was throughout the whole yeah, thing. Yeah, smoking was and multiple drinking. characters, the drinking, and then when weapons, Cruella... it was like the fire poke, but yeah. I think that's the only weapon we see them go after the dogs with. When Cruella smokes, though, and I don't know if we talked about this in the actual episode, it was definitely something we talked about outside of this, uh, it felt like a... like. Michael, you pointed out it looks like Maleficent's magic. Yeah, I think we mentioned yeah. it. And we did start. mention it for oh, Okay. But yeah, yeah. no, but I yeah, agree it, with you. It's so funny because that didn't bother me. The second Jasper had a cigar. Well, because it was green. Like it had that green tint to it. So it almost didn't look like it was real, real smoke. Yeah. Yeah. It looked. It, it looked like different... something she was emanating. Mm-hmm. Can we talk about what's the purpose of the long cigarette holder? Just to keep it away from your I face? I guess to keep it away from her fur coat. Oh. To keep the smell away? No. Well, are we I talking about real world logistics or are we talking about why they picked? Yeah, oh, yeah. I I want to say it's fancier. Yeah. I, I'm, I don't I'm know. assuming I don't there's know a real, real world reason, logistics, but, but I would think like, no, I was not thinking the smoke. I was thinking the, the ember is further away from yeah. the so face. I was also thinking the smell maybe. Because you know, the, but... the, other, the other fancy villain who does this is the penguin. So, I mean, mm, the, it's just true. the height of, of, of high society. Yes. Um, so guys, uh, if you've been listening to this podcast, this is the part where we, uh, rate the villain over the last few episodes. We've been talking about this. This is a bit of a new thing and those, those episodes haven't come out yet. So I, we're going to skip ahead a little bit and we're going to, I'm going to explain to Michael the, uh, the, the scientific, uh, <laughs> infallible villain rating system. And we'll be right back. Okay, guys, we have, uh, told Michael he's caught up. So let's go through our ranking. Uh, Tara, give me uh, Frightening. 
I'm going to put her at a five. Mm. Especially like in the beginning and then like when she's all wild in the car with those Mm -hmm. crazy eyes. Like she's very scary. Okay. I gave her a four. I think because I think I think most of the same thing you are, but she's also a little like. Mm. Yeah, I see that. A little all over the place. So. Michael, what did you give her? What do you? Think? I'm going to give her a five as well. Now that I've okay. thought about it, because I think you're both right. But back to going to the world building, it's clear that she's been investigated before, and she's already got two henchmen who are willing to kill for her. What other things has she done? There's so much more <laughs> yeah, of her backstory of that I don't know, and movie. that's way more scary than having seen it on screen. So I'm going to give her a five for just sheer what she's already done. Oh, what is she actually able to do? Oh, did I say that word? So don't worry about it. Um, I tried. <laughs> I made it right. this far, two hours in. Yeah. All right, uh, funny. Uh, Tara, what do you give her? I'm going to give her a four on the funny scale. She's wild. She's She has some funny moments, and she's like, not like comedic, but like she's wildly absurd, which I think can also be included in that. Perfect. I gave her the same. I'm going to give her the same as well because I hadn't included like her over the top nature, but given the time frame and just, just even now and what, what the characters evolve into, she is the litmus. She is the foundation. Most definitely a four. I also think she thinks she's a like delight at parties. So I feel like that's oh, yeah. part of it in that kind of funny yeah, yeah, charismatic yeah. area. All right. Fears. Oh, five. Yeah. Same here. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> 100%. 100%. I mean, we've like gushed about her. Yeah, Absolutely. She's a five. Effective. Mm. I give her a three and I think it's because she got the puppies. She wanted to make the coat. That was her ultimate goal. And she didn't get to really do that. But I thought she was, she got the puppies together. She, you know, figured out a way she kept getting pushed back and pushed back and pushed back. So I give her about a half. Yeah. One could argue that like, I guess she hired Horace and Jasper, but like she never really got her hands dirty. So like, I don't know. I'm going to, what did you give her? I gave her a three. You gave her a three. Don't let me, don't let my score. You think about it, Michael, what do you think? I'm going to give her a four, and here's why. I think this is being generous given the the movie that we're seeing in hand, but going back to what I was saying earlier, like, what else is she doing? Like, she's she is somebody who is rich. She has a tank for a car. She is wearing something. She probably murdered herself everywhere she's going. Like, the woman is is adept. The woman has has wealth. The woman is doing things. I, I think that she is effective at at delivering um, delivering information and and delegating and not getting her own hands dirty. And the second that she starts like getting her own hands dirty, things start going her way. But she just underestimates an enemy she doesn't know exists. And I think, given the fact that how she know when she was dealing with, I think she would have snuffed that out very quickly. Mm. And uh, yeah, I think that's that's very frightening. So I was leaning towards a three, but then the more I think about it too, I think I am going to give her a four because I also think she's effective with like her terrorizing. Like she does terrorize, mm. like like she's terrorizing Roger and Perdita. Like you think of like how they are all terrified of her. So I'm going to give her a four. Design. I give her. Oh, a she's five. a five. Yeah, it's such five. a absolutely good design. Yeah, five. The, the, she's frail, but she's also huge and imposing. Mm-hmm, it's insane. Mm-hmm. It's such a, a feat. So go away heat. I'm gonna give her a two with go away heat, and I'll tell you why. She she wanted to kill puppies, and that's that's got to generate some like boo go away heat for me. 
you make a good point. I was going <laughs> to give her one because she, I love her on screen. I, I think it's a testament to but, her ability that she is so great and she's a puppy killer. And we're all yeah. like, ooh, give me more of that puppy killer. No, I'll go with you on there too on that because I think she should be held accountable for that. But Maleficent wanted to like kill a human and I didn't give her any go away heat. Humans like, die all the time. I don't care. So puppies, puppies are, are... are are innocent in, in the eyes of the Lord. And it's important that we, we protect them at all costs. I'm gonna give her a five. You want to give her a five? Here's here's what's up. 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 So again, she is. I think her tendrils are everywhere. Okay. And the fact is, so, she. So this is a, this is subjective. So does she have go away heat with you when she's on screen? Do you want her to not be on screen? That's go away heat. Oh, am I ranking it backwards? Yes. Yes. So, so oh, for example, okay. Here are some characters that had. Five go away heat. Uh, Donald Duck's libido from from three cabinets. Yeah, that needs to go away. Okay, I understand. Okay, yeah, I yeah. understand. Okay, so, okay. I think I'm going to give her a one because I love her as a villain. And I, I'm with you on the puppies and you were persuading me for a little bit. Okay. But she's so good. I want more of her. Yes. So I'm yes. going to give her a one. I'm going to give her a one now that I understand. Apologies. Okay. I, it, like... Her going to jail. I want the Chicago version of Cruella. Yes. Oh. Like, give me the cell block tango of they had it coming. Those spotted things. Like, oh, I want it. I want the cell block tango. What is what are the words? Pop. 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 Snap. Puppies. That's what you want. (laughs) Or bark. (laughs) Yes. Oh, I want it. I want it. Yes factor. I'm gonna give her a five. She had a great yes factor with me. Yeah. Yes, five. All right, listeners, we're back. Ladies and gentlemen, I don't know how I feel about it. Ladies and gentlemen, we have we have a new number one villain, and that number one villain, as part of the scientific, mm-hmm. infallible, indisputable, bulletproof villain ranking system, is Cruella Deville. It you love to hear it. You love to you love to see it. You love to hate her, Michael. I I you know you were here for history. It's, I was. Um. Our real quick, our last question, uh, which I think if, uh, we all know. I just think we need to like. Do we need? A, do we need a moment? I just need a moment, uh, listeners. It was a point five difference, so oh, I don't yeah. want you With to think she jumped ahead. 5. In my heart, Maleficent is still number one, always and forever. But I am kind of shocked that she snuck up above them. I, I think you, she's. I think she's in good company up there. I well, don't think it's wrong that she's up there, but I will say that I think some of it has to do with our viewing experience and how much going into it we like. And I think there's a lot going for this character. Yes. But I also think watching it with someone who loved her so much really helped that. I don't just mean he because we all have very similar scores. Yes. So I I think that really definitely helped. Michael, the last question we always have is, do you add this to your collection or do you lock it away in the vault? And I think we got that question that answer a little earlier. It's already there. It's already yeah. in the collection. <laughs> yes. It's there. Um, I am actually going to add it to the Amazon list first to get a Blu-ray of it because I love it. Like we don't currently own it, but we yeah, should own it's... them all. And then, and then instead of sorting them by number, we'll sort by name. We'll sort them by villain ranking when this is all over. <laughs> oh, that's brilliant. Um, but yeah, no, it's definitely in my collection for yep. sure. Uh, I have a new one of my favorite uh, heroes, Disney heroes. Yes, Pongo. I love him. He's so great. yeah, I think it's in ours too. Uh, Michael, thank you so much for joining us on this magical, magical journey. Yes, thank for you for being a part of Villain History. Uh, thank you for having me. 
we always ask our co-host if you have uh, anything you want to plug. Could be a personal thing, could be a big project, could just be world peace or like a book you've recently read. I don't know. Anything you want to plug? You can also say pass. I do have things to plug, actually. So uh, for those interested in um, tabletop games, I have a um, audio drama for you all to listen to. Um, I'm a producer for what's called Tales by Tabletop, and we finished our season one last year, and unfortunately with COVID, season two is a little bit delayed, but we have about uh, 16 episodes of fantasy, just adventure and mayhem uh, for you to listen to on Spotify uh, by the same name of Tales by Tabletop. It's all narrated. Basically, we um, played a tabletop game, we scripted it out, and then we brought in voice actors and it's it's a fun 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 listen so if you have time definitely cho check it out awesome That's awesome yeah but yeah thanks guys thanks for listening and uh, next week we are back for sore in the stone hopefully with another guest yes and madam mim super pumped for oh her. yeah 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 madam mim thanks for listening to tara and ryan's princess diaries if you want to tell us your favorite disney villain and why it's guest on send us an email at trprincessdiaries at gmail.com or you can send a tweet about how great Maleficent is, too, at TRP Diaries. Check out our Facebook group by searching for Tara and Ryan's Princess Diaries. Tara and Ryan's Princess Diaries are available on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, Overcast, and many more. Wherever you hear us, please be our knight in shining armor and give us a five-star review. Thanks again, and until next time, remember to always live happily ever after.